أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن المتقين في جنات ونعيم We are in Surah Tur, Surah number 52 Surah At-Tur, Surah number 52, verse number 17 We're going back a little bit, so this is what we had left before we did Surah Rahman So we have to finish Surahs 52, 53 and 54 Again, Surah Tur, Surah number 17. Allah Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem. Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Inna Muttaqeen Fi Jannatin Wa Naim. Here, the Spantal saying is indeed the people of Taqwa will be in gardens and bliss and facility, felicity. Muttaqeen again are those people who are the ones who fear Allah Spantal, who are aware of Allah Spantal, who are conscious of Allah Spantal, and who are conscientious about their. Obedience and submission and worship of Allah SWT So that Allah Ta'ala here is mentioning that they will enter into Jannah فَاكِهِنَ بِمَا أَتَاهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ And they will be enjoying what their Rabb has given them And the biggest enjoyment they will have وَقَاهُمْ رَبُّهُمْ أَذَابُ الْجَحِيمِ And their Rabb will have saved them from the Punishment of the blaze, the blazing inferno. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them from the punishment of Jahannam. It will be said to them, Kulu washabu hani'a, that you should eat and drink. Hani'a means that with blessings, uh, and you should eat and drink happily and pleasantly, and with blessings, bima kuntum ta'malun, in return for what you used to do, means for all of the a'mal and actions and deeds that you used to do. Muttaqeena ala surrim masfufa, and they will be reclining in couches masfufa, which will be arranged in rows and lined up. With the wajnahum bihurin and Allah Ta'ala says that we shall marry them to fair, fair maidens or damsels of Jannah who have wide eyes. Here, the Spantel has mentioned some of the netmas of the people of Jannah. First of all, that they will be enjoying what their Rabb gives them. But the greatest thing they will enjoy is that Allah Ta'ala will have saved them from the fire of Jahannam. First thing means that the happiness that a person feels on the Day of Judgment at not going to Jahannam, the happiness that a person will feel on the Day of Judgment of being saved by Allah Sponsor from Jahannam, that is a happiness that they would feel throughout Jannah, just the happiness of not going to Jahannam. Second thing, saving means that Allah SWT is doing an ishara here <coughs> that they will live forever means that they have been saved, they are perpetually saved that once they enter into Jannah they will never ever have to return. Hani'a means that their food and drink they can eat and drink it with gusto, without limit, with passion, unlimitedly. It also means in blessings and so the Mufassirun have said that it means that a person may eat and drink at will because there's barakah in the food and drink in Jannah which means neither will you get sick nor will it run out nor will there be any shortage as opposed to the eating and drinking in this world a person may eat in a measured amount or their wealth or their health uh, is a limit on what they eat so that is the notion of hani'a it's a limitless blessing and enjoyment and a person can be unrestrained in partaking in that limitless blessing that they will be reclining on couches arranged and lined up in rows. This is something that we did actually, although it comes later, Swarabakya, we did it earlier. And I mentioned to you there as well why the rows will be facing one another. 
Similarly, uh, this Hulain, uh, the word Hul is the plural of the word Hawla, and this refers to women who are extremely fair in complexion. And Ain, uh, this is the plural of Aina, and Ain, as you know, this is eyes, so Ain means of eyes, uh, and of eyes means here wide eyes. And this is the bounty and the blessing that Allah SWT bestow on the people of Jannah. Then on 21 onwards, Allah Ta'ala mentions in verse 21 yet another blessing. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَاتَّبَعَتْهُمْ ذُرِّيَتُهُمْ بِإِيمَانٍ أَلْحَقْنَا بِهِمْ ذُرِّيَتُهُمْ Okay, this we had done this free watch. وَمَا أَلَتْنَاهُمْ مِنْ أَمَلْهِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ كُلُّ مْرِئِنْ بِمَا كَسَبَ رَهِينَ That each and every person, those who do, each and every person who has iman, and then those who follow them in that iman amongst your children. So the condition here is that the person, both the person and the child, both have to have iman. So as for those who believe and then their children and progeny who follow them in accepting iman, then Allah Ta'ala says that we will join such progeny and children with them. You can also say that we will join them with your with your children. Either way you can translate it. And then Allah SWT said, we will not It means that we will not reduce any of their deeds. What does that mean? That their deeds will not be used to bring their children into Jannah. Their reward will not be curtailed at all. They will have the full recompense and reward of their deeds. And their children will simply be upgraded and joined with them. Provided that the children have Iman. And then Allah SWT says that in each... Uh, they will, Allah Ta'ala will not curtail them for any of their deeds That each individual is responsible for what they have earned Now I've mentioned this to you before That the condition is both the parents and the children have to have iman Either way the children may be upgraded to the parents Or the parents may be upgraded to the children It means parents and children who have iman will be together And they will be joined in whichever is the highest level of Jannah That any individual one of them was able to attain. And also we've mentioned before that Zurriya has been taken to mean physical progeny, but also it can also mean spiritual progeny. And then there's one hadith on the Mustadrak of Hakim and the Sunnah of Imam Bihakirimullah that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas said, not hadith rather, but one of the tafsir of Ibn Abbas has mentioned that connection in which he said that indeed Allah SWT will elevate the rank of a person's progeny to their own rank even if the Deeds of the progeny are fewer And this will be done by Allah SWT To make the people of Iman happy Another hadith about them said That when a person enters Jannah When they enter Jannah They will ask as to where are their parents Or where are their spouse Or where are their children Where is their husband, wife or children And it depends They may be in a lower rank Or they may be high rank So then they will make dua to Allah SWT To be joined with their family members and here then Allah SWT will then decree that they should be joined together at whichever is the highest level of the highest rank of any of their family members. Now some people, critics, uh, rational critics would raise the question that well, generally and even here Allah SWT said that everybody will get according to their deeds. So yes, one is the Jannah that you will get according to your deed and one is the Jannah that Allah SWT will bestow on the basis of His mercy. 
So everybody will initially enter that rank of Jannah which they attained according to their deeds. But because the family bond is so strong and the people in Jannah will get whatever it is that they want and their desire, their desires in Jannah will be to desire everything that is pure and noble and it is one of the pure and noble desires to want to be with one's family. Therefore Allah Ta'ala out of His mercy will join them with their family. So this ayah shows the importance of family. One is that, okay, one should try that as many people in the family should have as much taqwa as possible so that as many people in the family have the chance to get the highest rank in Jannah. Secondly, it also shows that it's part of our pure and noble wish to be together with family. So if Allah SWT Himself has emphasized and wants so much that family members in Jannah should be together, so that means people who want to be in Jannah, they should live together as families in this world, whether they live together physically, but or the means they should have peace and harmony and love for one another, because that is an attribute that the people of Jannah will have, that they will have a love and attraction and a yearning for their family members. So we should have the attribute of the people of Jannah in this world. And that is a general theme in Quran, that whatever Allah SWT mentions as the attributes of the people of Jannah, we should try to have the same qualities and traits in this world. Verse 22, Then Allah SWT says that we will uh, supply them with fruit and meat of their desire. Or you can say we will supply them with fruit and meat as their desire. So whatever they want. Now, lahm is viewed as the ultimate main course type food and faqiha is viewed, fruits are the ultimate ladzat or fruit food, that item that people eat for taste or for sweetness or for pleasure. So this is a kinaya. It does not necessarily mean the meats and fruits of this world. It means that they will have whatever type of main food that they like and whatever type of sweet and ladzat foods that they want. This we've done before, that in Surah, we, I mean, we, it comes later, but we did it in Surah Waqiyah, um, that there will be different levels of Jannah. Some will have every type of fruit, twin pairs of fruit, variety of fruits. There, the meat of birds was mentioned. Here, it is mutlak lahem. It means any and all type of meats will be available to them in Jannah. Right? And the notion here of variety and choice is also, I mean, of desire is that in this world, sometimes you are not always able to eat whatever you want, but in Jannah that will be one feature that you will be able to eat whatever you want. Your eating in Jannah will not be like you're eating in this world because here we eat out of need and hunger. Their person has no need, has no hunger. They will purely be eating out of lazat and of enjoyment. Secondly, there is no process of digestion and expulsion of waste material. Whatever a person eats in Jannah will automatically uh, sort of become a part of them or fair either way but there will be no digestion or excretion of any of that food so a person will in- eat purely for the sake of desire purely for the sake of enjoying now this is also something that in this world uh, is actually something that a person is encouraged not to do in fancy English this is called gluttony this is also viewed one of the desires of the nafs that a person should break that they eat and drink to no end and they eat and drink whatever they want whenever they want without regard to their health without regard to their fitness so in this world a person has to curtail themselves and that is a general thing that whatever desires of the nafs we curtail in this world for the sake of Allah Allah Ta'ala in Jannah will give 
give us, uh, will allow us to fulfill those desires without curtailing it in any way. Next in verse 23, Then they will pass around and circle between them No, I missed a verse. Before that is Yatanaza Fiha Literally it means that they will pass around a cup, they will exchange a cup therein, in which there is no love in that, no frivolity in it, no vain, idle, fruitless, pointless talk in it. And Latatim, I did this for you yesterday, can be either there is no sin in it, or it means there is no accusation, there is no recrimination in it. So they will also be passing that around with one another. Gas, uh, you can translate it as cup or goblet. Basically, it means that drinking vessel that is full to the brim. And that is a gas. So the feeling there that it's absolutely full all the way up to the brim and whenever they drink from it it will remain full all the way up to the brim up to the rim what does it mean that there will be no love in it so what it means is actually referring to what we did elsewhere in Quran that there will be no intoxication in it it will not lead a person to love upon drinking it a person will not engage in futile talk vain talk idle talk babble nonsense however you want to call it so that is, it literally says there's no love inside the gas, but it means that in the effects of the beverage and the liquid that is inside that cup, when one drinks it, they will not be led to love. And this is very important because this gives another reason why alcohol is prohibited in Islam. It's not just intoxication, but it's also viewed as a futile, idle, vain, absurd pointless, nonsensical activity and can lead a person to then spend time in a state of love. And then that, that theme, again, it will not lead them to sin or anything in which they would incur blame or be incriminated. Again, this is a, to differ with the wine or the drinks of this world that a person, if they get intoxicated by them, then they may end up doing something that is sinful in the eyes of Allah or something that is incriminating and blameworthy in the eyes of others. Verse 24, and then verse 24 is that there will be young uh, attendants, uh, young attendants who will be uh, serving them, uh, who will surround them or circle back and forth between them, and they are like treasured pearls. Again, we did something similar like to this uh, yesterday. And this is, Allah knows best, but this is some notion uh, of attendance, uh, and this is for both men and women who will be attending in this way. So then they will face one another, uh, and they will be asking questions of one another. Or you can even say, Yakbalu means that they will approach one another. And they will ask one another questions. And what will they say? That before, means when they were in this world, we were apprehensive for our ahl. We were apprehensive or fearful for ahl can mean family. Ahl can also mean a broader sense that we were fearful for our people or our friends or those who were close to us. Uh, so, 
it can have two meanings here. Number one is that we were fearful regarding our Ahl, and the reply to that is that well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now joined them with their Ahl, and now they're happy. Second, it can mean that when they remained with their Ahl, they were fearful of whether they would be able to make it into Jannah or not, and now that they've entered Jannah, they don't have that fear anymore. So what does it mean that when they lived in the world, and amongst our Ahl can also just be a Kanaya that when we lived in the world, uh, that we were always worried that whether we would disobey Allah subhanahu wa or earn His displeasure, and that we were always wary that we would have to face Allah subhanahu wa This is one meaning as well. So all of these meanings can be there. But clearly now they're happily united with their Ahl. If you take Dhurriya to mean Ahl, which some have, that they will be reunited with each and every one of their family. Ahl could also mean their brethren, their associates, their fellows. Uh, Ahl could mean many, many things. So many possible meanings of this. Allah Ta'ala knows best. Uh, but their point here is that they used to be mushfik. So again, either when they were with their Ahl, they used to be fearful, or on the world they were fearful regarding their Ahl. Verse 27, And then they will say that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent His special grace upon us, has been gracious and sent His favor upon us, and has kept us away, and has saved us from the torment and the punishment of the scorching wind. And this we had done for you before, that Samum is a scorching wind, in addition to the flame of the fire, in addition to the boiling water, there was another punishment, which was this, scorching wind, so they are grateful and happy that Allah SWT has saved them from that. That's why some commentators have taken that the fearful part is just simply that we were afraid of being punished, but now Alhamdulillah Allah has saved us. Alright. Verse 28 uhu That indeed before this we used to regularly make dua to Allah SWT إِنَّهُ هُوَ rahim And indeed Allah SWT is most kind and is most merciful. So here, uh, this notion that they used to pray to Allah SWT and their feeling here is that Allah SWT has accepted our du'as and He accepted our du'as for example for Jannah or for the piety of our children or to be together with our family in Jannah. All of this was done because Al-Badr means Allah is intimately, extremely kind and means that that's kind to those who are unworthy. So it's a type of kindness which suggests and beyond being just. One is justice, that is being rewarding those who are worthy. And one is al-bar, being so kind that you reward those who are unworthy, who are undeserving. And why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and why is He so kind that He rewards people who are undeserving? Because of His merciful, because He is all merciful because of His rahmah. Verse 29. So this is addressed back to the Prophet So therefore you should continue reminding people Inviting people uh, Giving nasiha to people Why? Because by the ni'mah of your Rabb By the grace of your Lord, your Rabb You Prophet you are not a kahin Which means you are not a soothsayer Nor are you majnoon And again majnoon can mean nor are you crazy Or are you possessed or is it that they say that the Prophet, do they perhaps say the Prophet is a poet? So Allah Ta'ala says, نَتَرَبَّسُوا بِهِ رَيْمَ الْمَنْمُونَ And Allah Ta'ala says that indeed, uh, that is he a poet that we expect uh, misfortune to befall him in time. That we expect that over time, 
misfortune to befall him. And some have suggested that the misfortune is all the way up till death, that they were waiting for his death. So this was that uh, some of the Quraysh said that Nabi Yaqlim is a poet, and just like poets have come before, and they die, and then their poetry fades away. So we simply have to wait for the Prophet in their eyes, they said that we have to wait for him to die, and once he dies, then his poetry and his following will fade away. So Qulsu say to them, Tadabbasu fa inni ma'akum minal mutarabbisin. So say to them, O Nabi that wait, and indeed I am also waiting with you. And here it means not that Nabi is waiting for death, but it means that Sayyidina Rasulullah is also going to wait for the outcome and see that is the Prophet merely a poet that upon his passing away that he will be forgotten and his words will be forgotten or one of those poets who many times died without a following. So here uh, what it means is that I am also waiting with you and it can also mean that what you should really wait for is not my death but you should wait for the day of judgment and in that sense the Prophet is saying that I am waiting to see waiting with you to see the outcome and to see the decree of Allah SWT and see how Allah SWT manifests the truth of thee. Some have also said that this refers to uh, the Mushrikeen before the Battle of Badr and they said we are waiting means that we are his death we are eagerly awaiting not by accident or misfortune but because they were planning Badr and they were saying that okay let's not do anything for now we will eventually plan a military expedition in which we will kill the Prophet and therefore we should simply wait for that so then when the Prophet says wait and I am also waiting with you means the Prophet knew that of the Fatah that Allah SWT has promised him so he says that he is also so waiting for that moment to come. Verse number 32. That does their understanding or is their intellect and understanding directing them to say this? Or are they a people who are common Are they a people out of control? Means are they rebellious and are they out of control? Am yakuluna taqawwalahu balla yu'minun or are they trying to assert that the Prophet made it up that he fabricated it in the Quran balla yu'minun but rather they are people who don't believe alright so this is the very important ayah over here uh, which is verse number 32 because Allah subhanahu is telling them that it's not their intelligence or their intellect, or their understanding that can compel them to this. What does it mean that they seem to suggest that it was their intelligence and understanding that was encouraging them to reject the truth and to stick to their shirk and their false beliefs and their false customs? So Allah subhanahu made it clear that their real intelligence, real understanding, real insight would not lead to disbelief, but rather real intelligence and insight would direct them to believe. And why were they misusing their intelligence? Because they're common ta'gun, because they are rebellious people who are out of control. This suggests that when a person sins, then the sin puts them out of control and puts their uh, intelligence out of control. And the interesting word Allah has used here for that is uh, ahlam. And ahlam uh, you know, comes from the same root halam, halamim as hilm. So what it means is that real intelligence uh, is one of forbearance and foresight and perseverance and they're lacking that. Why? Because there are people who are ta'gun. 
So whenever we rebel against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even our understanding, instead of being one of hilm, or being one that is tempered and reflective, our understanding becomes out of control, and then our mind, yes, it will be in our intellect, but our mind will lead us to crazy such things, such as what is mentioned in the next ayah, that they will claim that Sayyidina Rasulullah is fabricated in the Qur'an, whereas Allah Ta'ala in other places in Qur'an has made it clear, that if they were to use their intelligence on the Qur'an, in the Qur'an and Arabiyyah, their proper intelligence, if it had hilm, would make them realize that the Qur'an was true. But when their sin and rebellion makes their intelligence go out of control, that instead they think that even though they're reading Qur'an and they're listening, even though they listen to parts of Qur'an and they understood Arabic, they still thought that Sayyidina Sussan fabricated it. Whereas anybody who heard it would realize that this could not be the kalam of insan. So then this is why Allah subhanahu wa says, And indeed they will never be able to believe. They simply don't believe. The reality is that they will not believe. فَلْيَأْتُوا بِحَدِيثِ مِثْلِهِ إِنْ كَانُوا صَادِقِينَ Then Allah Ta'ala says, Okay, let them, if they think the Prophet fabricated it, means that it could potentially be kalam of insan, so let them bring any discourse the like of it, if indeed they are truthful. And this is something Allah Ta'ala also said in Bani Israel, that if they could, Allah Ta'ala challenges the humanity and jinn to produce the like of this Qur'an, the mythla of this Qur'an, but they will not be able to do so. Elsewhere Allah Ta'ala challenges, can they bring a surah like it, they're not able to do so. Then elsewhere Allah Ta'ala challenges, can they bring an ayah like it, they can't even bring a single ayah like it, verse like it, that makes it clear that it's not kalam al-insan, and therefore it's not something that Sayyidina Rasulullah himself has fabricated or invented. Then Allah Ta'ala addresses them, أَمُخُلُكُمْ مِنْ غَيْرِ And is it that, were they created from nothing? Were they created from nothing? Or, أَمْهُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ Or are they themselves the creators? So these were two options. Again, this is a rad on atheism, because the atheist ultimately thinks that all of the universe was created from nothing. And this was something that the mushrikeen at least had enough akal, that when they would say this, they said, no, we weren't created from nothing. We must have been created from something. So that's something that you created from, did you create it yourself? And they would say no. So then that means that there must be a creator, a khalik, who created that something from which you were brought into existence. Right? Uh, this is one of the arguments. But obviously this can, argument is not going to work on a person who is stubborn and who uh, is so only accepts the empiricism of science. And therefore they will be they will be bewildered by this fact, right, because this is one of the, what they call the logical arguments for the existence of God in philosophical theology, infinite regression. That if somebody was created, okay, then everything has a creator, then you have to keep going back. And in math, uh, and a lot of the philosophy of religion actually ultimately boils down to pure mathematics. Uh, and pure mathematics says that infinite regression is not allowed, so it has to stop somewhere, so there has to be a prime creator. So that's a more sophisticated Rendering of this, this is a more uh, rendering that is more appropriate to the mushrikeen at that time, but it's the same argument. And then Allah Ta'ala continues, Am samawat Or did they create the heavens and the earth? But the reality is that they have no yaqeen, which means they're not even sure themselves. They're not certain, they're not even certain themselves. And 
This is very important because this also shows that the atheist, no matter how much he may try to pretend that he is a convinced atheist, devout atheist, at the end of the day, deep inside, he is like this, he or she is like this. La yukunun, they are ultimately unsure. They can never have yakin. The only thing that a person can ever, a human being can ever have yakin in is the deen of Islam, is in their iman, is in the believing of Quran al Karim. And is it that the treasures of your Rabb are with them? Do they hold the treasures of your Rabb? And here again, there's another question that, okay, what does it mean that, for example, if they held the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa then they could confer Nabuot on whoever they wanted. They could reveal a book, because that is also, by Khazain, it means scripture and anbiya. And these are the real treasures. So if they have the treasures of Allah Ta'ala, then why don't they appoint who they would rather want? Bestow and confer Nabuot on who they feel should be a Nabi. Or do they have power to enforce uh, or power to ordain uh, anything? In other words, do they have any level of control or power to enforce or ordain? And the answer is no. They don't have any power over the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So neither do they possess them, nor do they have power over them. Then Allah will ask another question in verse 38. Or is it that do they have a ladder by which they can eavesdrop, meaning do they have a ladder or a stairway to the heavens by which they are able to eavesdrop on Allah Ta'ala's communications with the angels or Allah Ta'ala's divine decrees or what revelation is given the angels to bring them to the Anbiya and if that is the case then the person who is eavesdropping and the listener from amongst them should come with a clear and evident proof Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this ayah we did before, Amluhul Banatu, Walakumul Banun. And this was again because they thought that the angels were the daughters of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they didn't like daughters for themselves. So Allah was mocking that you believe that a god would have what you wouldn't even like for your own self, and you yourself view to be disgraced by daughters, but you. And you would disgrace God that way, but you wish to, you view it to be graced by sons, and you wish to grace yourselves that way. So again, for obviously for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, daughters and sons are equal. But this is Allah Taala addressing their foul and their mistaken belief in theology on multiple scores. But it suggested, how can you really say you believe in that idol or believe in that God if you think that even because some of the mushrikeen again believed in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala along with their idols. And they viewed the angels as the daughters of Allah SWT. So here Allah SWT is mentioning the folly of such a belief. That are you asking them a fee so that they feel as if they're burdened by a heavy burden? Are you asking them any payment or recompense for what you're doing? So they feel as if they're burdened by a heavy burden, namely a debt. So again, the answer to this is obviously no. That Sayyidina Rasulullah did not ask them for anything in exchange. And none of the Anbiya have ever asked. Right? So there is no burden, no liability, no debt on them if they were to accept the deen of Islam. And finally, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions 
three more things mentioning each of the, maybe the three biggest things um in the humal ghaib or is it that they have the knowledge of the unseen is that what they claim and for whom yaktubun and they're also scribing it and they're writing it down what does it mean so this is the ultimate knowledge that belongs to Allah Taala alone right or again referring to the specific thing that I mentioned earlier do they have knowledge of the unseen that the Prophet someone he passes away his deen and his followers will cease to exist as for him and they've written it down as if it's something bakka something sure and certain to happen Am yuridun or is it that they are plotting something do they have any plot that they are contriving فَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا that Allah says, no, indeed those who disbelieve, they, it is they themselves who are plotted against, it is they themselves who will be ensnared in a plot. Because they cannot plot against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself will ensnare them and harm them by whatever plot that they conceive. This is many, many occasions of this in mention in Sirah and Hadith when the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarma, uh, they plotted against the Prophet whether it was harming the Prophet killing the Prophet whether it was Badr, it was Uhud, whether it was how to counter his dawah, whether it was how to convince people that he was a poet or a soothsayer or a fortune teller or mad or possessed. They constantly were plotting against the Prophet Amlahum ilahun ghayrullahi And is it that they have a God other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, okay, that would be another sultan That would be another basis for them uh, To disbelieve But subhanallahi amma yushikun And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free And pure and far exalted From and he transcends All of the things that they Associate and ascribe to him Whether they ascribe partners to him They ascribe daughters to him They ascribe any weakness to him Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is far above that Verse 44 now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning That what's going to happen from 44 onward To these people on the day of judgment So here وَإِن يَرَوْ كِسْفًا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ سَاقِطًا يَقُولُ سَحَابٌ مَرْكُومٌ here the Prophet is referring to that the disbelievers had this demand on the Prophet that okay, why don't you bring us a peace from the sky if you have this miraculous power and you are a prophet sent by your Allah So in this verse, Allah says that okay, even were they to see, if they were to see a piece of the sky uh, falling down, even then they would not accept that this is a miracle that Allah has allowed to happen. They would simply say that it is a... Mm, Stacked clouds, it is a layered, stacked mass of clouds. In other words, they won't accept this as a sign. This means that even if they have to witness, and another meaning is that if they even had to witness the punishment of Allah SWT hurling down from them a portion of the sky, could mean a meteorite, an asteroid, something like that, then even then they will not believe, even though they had told this to the Prophet this is in Bani Israel Surah 17 verses 19-92 that we shall never believe in you until you drop the sky upon us in fragments as you claim so if as they said a portion of the sky was to come hurtling towards them they would still refuse to admit it and they would still say that this was a cloud or a piece of a cloud that has come down means they would have no intention of obeying Allah obeying the Prophet they have no intention of believing in Allah SWT so then what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? So Allah ta'ala tells the Prophet that you should simply leave them. Leave them on their own. 
hatta until when yulaqu yawmahumul ladhi fihi yusqun that leave them until that day until they meet their day and that will be the day in which they will be rendered unconscious will they must they will be stunned they will be rendered unconscious and they will fall in a state of being stunned or awestruck uh, and this is what it is yusqun it's really that they will fall in a state of unconsciousness being awestruck or struck down and uh, this first meaning of this is that it means the day of judgment. Second, say this meant again the day of bother. Third, they say it meant means the day that the sword, the day the trumpet will be sounded to announce the coming and the advent of Qiyamah. But either way, it will be a day. That this will be the day that none of their plotting, cunning, conniving, contriving will avail them nothing, will be of no avail to them, will be of no benefit to them at all. And it will be a day in which they will not be helped by anyone, not assisted by anyone. They will have no savior, no helper on that day. And then Allah says, indeed, for those who have or commit zulm who are wrongdoers who are oppressors who are unjust they will have a punishment even other than this again some say this means the battle of Badr Sayyidina Mujahid Rehmullah said this referred to a seven year drought that afflicted the people of Makkah Makarama because they were going against the Prophet either way they will be given yet another punisher for this but but the vast majority of them will not know the vast majority will not be cognizant of this at all means the vast majority of them will have no idea whatsoever so then Allah Ta'ala ends this surah with two part, two verses. Number one is Allah to be patient. That he should, Nabi Aksim should bear patiently uh, with the hukum of your Rabb, with the judgment or decision of your Rabb. Literally it means that you are in front of my eyes. It can also say you are in my eyes. My means Allah subhanahu wa means you are in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa you're in front of him, you're in his gaze. And it can also hear A'yuna if you want to take it figuratively. It means that you are under our surveillance, you are in our protection. And therefore you should keep doing the tasbih and hamd and extol and glorify the praises of your Rabb. Hina takum, whenever it is that you stand. Now, what is this qiyam that is meant here? So, here the qiyam means uh, your uh, one view, Sayyidina Mujahid and Sayyidina Ibn Jurayd said this means that whenever you stand from a gathering and rise from a gathering, you should do the tasbih and hamd of Allah subhanahu wa And others have said that here that it means that when you stand in prayer, whenever you stand in qiyam in salah, then you should remember the Tasbih and hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And finally, وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَسَمْبِحُ وَإِدْبَارَ النُّجُومِ And then from a portion of the night, from a portion of the night, you should also uh, do the tasbih or glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praise Him and declare His purity. وَإِدْبَارَ النُّجُومِ And also this means when the stars withdraw. You can say when the stars withdraw, when the stars set, when the stars have vanished. So when is it that the stars withdraw or the stars vanish? This is referring to the very last portion of the night. So this is an ashar towards the Hajjud Salah. 
right? That the stars vanish means when the night ends, when the dawn comes. Some say it also can refer to the earliest part of Fajr, because when the first white thread appears on the horizon, you can still see the stars, but then the stars start to vanish as the light comes a little bit more, and that may be referring to Fajr. And this can also be viewed as one of the ayat that mention the there's a difference of opinion as to what is the preferable time to pray Fajr. Is it more preferable to pray at its very initial moment when it's extremely dark and there's just one sliver of light? Or is it more permissible to pray what we call Isfar, that when there has come more light? So if you take this to mean the time of uh, Fajr, when the stars have vanished, the stars vanish, you are in your, if not in an urban area, but if you're in the rural desert, when the first sliver of white comes, you can still see the faint traces of the stars and the stars completely vanish from vision when there is a lot of light flush through the horizon and flush in the sky. So here, either way, right, uh, but this is referring to Tahajjud and Fajr, right? Uh, and others have interpreted portion of the night to mean Maghrib and Isha. So if you take it together, so the Minal Layl means Maghrib and Isha and uh, the second part means Tahajjud and Fajr. So you have Maghrib, Isha, Tahajjud and Fajr. You have all four things being mentioned over here. This is also the rough between verse 49 and 48 is that Sabr, so the manifestation of Sabr in our deen is turning to Allah Spanta in the night. So because normally whatever adversity and difficulty you have is going to afflict you in the day. So at night you should show your sabr. So sabr here is himmat and turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the way to have sabr is to pray salah at night, to make dua at night, to do Allah ta'ala's tasbih and hamd at night, to pray especially to make dua at the time of the hajjid. That is the outward way to do sabr. So if a person says, oh, I'm not able to be patient, or I don't know how to be patient, or I'm having a tough time enduring and dealing with my situation, well, it's because they're not adopting the Quranic prescription of sabr. They're not engaged in that night worship and that night dua. And so if Allah Ta'ala has given that way for us to become a person of sabr and we don't do that, then yes, we may find that we have besabri. We may find that we have angst and we're upset and we're always depressed and we're dense and we're in anxiety. Then we start having negative thoughts and negative views. All of that comes because we didn't turn to Allah subhanahu wa in salah, tasbih, hamd, in the layl, in the hajjud, in the time of fajr. And those people who really, you see, that if their nights are full of worship and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa then they're able to have sabr and even the most, uh, most difficult calamities and tests that occur to them in this world. Right, so this ended. Surah Tur. Next we begin Surah number. 53 Surah Al-Najm Surah Al-Najm is a Makki Surah and Najm here in, in this Surah it means star alright but Najmi Iza Hawa so here Allah SWT is swearing on the star by the star when it descends or when it sets or when it fades so here uh, our commentators have mentioned that why Allah SWT is swearing by the star so the first thing is Najm this is a singular, but it sometimes can also be isma jins, means it's referring to the entire category or genus or galaxy of stars. So all of the stars are being mentioned here. So it can be by a star itself, but it can also mean by the entire, every single constellation and cluster of stars. Alright, uh, that can be what is meant here. Another thing is that uh, one of the aspects of a star is that it never deviates from its path. Second aspect, when the star remains where it has istikamat, 
it remains on its sabim. Second aspect of the star is it is used as a point of guidance for other people onto that sabim. So people used to navigate on the basis of stars. This is something that I had mentioned before. So this, all of this is what is the link? So sahibukum is actually Sayyidina Rasulullah and Allah Ta'ala and this is a great mercy that Allah Ta'ala is referring to the Prophet as the sahib of the people whom he has been sent to because he is living in them and he is amongst them. And here Allah Ta'ala is saying as in your companion means this Prophet that is amongst you and in your midst that he has never ever gone astray uh, and nor nor has he lost his way. You can say that he has never made an error. He has never erred from the way. Nor has he ever strayed from the way. That may be a good way for you to put it. He has never erred from the way. And he has never strayed from the way. So these are two attributes of Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned means that he is never, is not a poet, not fortune teller, not crazed, not possessed, none of the things. And the rub there is that just the same way people find guidance by the star at, in the dark, in the night, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath on that star that your sahib, your Prophet is like that star by which a person can take hidayah. وَمَا يَنْتَكُوا عَنِ الْحَوَى And Sayyidina does not speak from his own whims and desires. He does not speak on his own basis. But rather, إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَى That indeed, but whatever he says and whatever he speaks is a revelation that is revealed to him. So here Allah SWT is answering uh, that Sayyidina has not fabricated any all the things that were mentioned in the previous surah that the Prophet has not fabricated anything nor is it his own poetry but every single thing that the Prophet is saying is a revelation some have taken this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you see one word could have been tilawa so what he recites to you is he doesn't recite to you from his own whim but whatever he recites is wahi but here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 2 used the word yantiku nutq which means whatever Sayyidina Rasulullah says to you. And that's why there are two types of wahi. What we call wahi matloovun and wahi ghayri matloov means the recited revelation and the non-recited revelation. All of it is nutq of Rasul Sallallahu whatever he utters, the expression that he says. Recited revelation is Qur'an. That means recited means scripture revelation, the book, the Qur'an al-Karim. Non-recited, non-scriptural revelation that is the hadith and the sunnah. So this ayah also makes it clear that with the hadith the Prophet says, when he says something in his capacity as a prophet, then he's not speaking from his own whim or desire, but it's a wahi yuha, that it's a revelation that has been revealed to him. So even the hadith and sunnah are part of the revelation of deen. And who taught the Prophet that Quran and that other wahi which makes its way into deen and sunnah? Allamahu shadeed al-quwa That Allamahu he has been taught. Who has taught him shadeed al-quwa That being of immense might. That being of tremendous power. One in strong power has taught him. What does that mean? To this obviously referring to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. One of strong power has taught him. Others have said that this one who has taught him is referring to the angel Jibril Islam, who, when he descends, he teaches him. Uh, he taught Nabi Akram Sallam the Quran al-Karim.
Yes, sorry, this refers to the angel Jibreel salam, who is the being being mentioned Shadid al Quba as having strong power. Du Mirra and uh Mirra is means that he's full of insight or full of intelligence. He translated full of vigor. You could also be Mirra as a type of power. Uh, and then when uh, the angel Jibreel salam Fastawa Lumirra Fastawa so is of extreme vigor of extreme intelligence and when uh, the angel Jibreel salam appeared uh, when he literally means when he stood up straight or when he appeared in his st- when he stood up poised when and he was on the highest horizon on the highest frontier at the highest horizon means the highest range of view so what does this mean? So this is the angel Jibreel Islam has come uh, to Nabi Yukrim Sallallahu And normally the angel Jibreel came in human form and the Mushrikin of Makkah, they did objection on this as well. That why did he come in human form? So the response was that no, the angel Jibreel notwithstanding that he come in the guise of human being, he's a being of extreme strength and vigor and intelligence and he stands poised on the verge of revealing his revelation. And one Sayyidina Rasulullah he requested the angel Jibreel to show himself in his own original real form as opposed to uh, his human form in the hadith in the uh, Jami of Tirmidhi that when the Sayyidina Rasulullah asked the Prophet this then the angel Jibreel when the, the Prophet asked the angel Jibreel this the angel Jibreel appeared to the bottom on the eastern horizon and his wings extended and covered the entire horizon and at that point, even the Biyakrim Sassam was in awe and intimidated by this might and power of the angel Jibreel Islam. And then later then, uh, it's going to come in verses 13 to 16, that the angel Jibreel Islam then came down another time. And at that time, he came down in a human guise. And that was more comforting and more soothing to the Prophet Sallallahu So this is the notion of uh, the form that the angels take, when uh, particularly the angel Jibreel Islam takes, when he comes down to the inheritance, uh, comes down to give the revelation. Verse number eight, Summa dana fatadallah. Then this is when the angel Jibril he approached and he came near. Fakana qabakoseni o adna, such that he was close as two bow lengths, or he was even closer to that. Faoha ila amdihi oha, and then Allah spawned sent wahi down to his abd, his servant and slave, ma oha, whatever it is that Allah subhanahu sent down. So ma here uh, means is am, and it means whatsoever Allah ta'ala sent. It can also be that Allah ta'ala revealed to him whatever amazing wahi Allah subhanahu sent down to him. Uh, and very important here, the Spantal says about Nabiya Kareem Sassam that the Fu'ad, that his heart perception, uh, his heart can never ever make a mistake in what he saw and what he perceived. So this is the important ayah that the Anbiya, they can never misunderstand, misinterpret, uh, misconstrue revelation. 
So otherwise this could be another misrahs that okay, yes, whatever is sent is sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's possible the Prophet could misunderstand it, misconstrue it, so that, that the Prophet could never do that. Second is that the Mushrikin disputed that the Prophet ever saw the ancient Jibreel in his original form. So here then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying is no, the Prophet's heart could not mistake what it sees. And here the says, are you disputing with the Prophet and you're arguing with him over what he sees, meaning trying to claim that he in fact did not see the Prophet Angel Jibreel, because the Angel Jibreel was even closer to the Prophet than two bows. Okay, now this original sighting, according to some narrations, was in the cave of Hira. And according to another, it was when Sayyidah was in the Ajiyad district of Makkah Mukarramah that the, the Prophet saw the angel Jibreel in his original form. Okay, then from verses 13 onward, you have the second sighting. Uh, by the Prophet of the Jibreel alayhi salam and then indeed Sayyidina saw the angel Jibreel once more yet another time in the Siddhartha Muntaha at the Siddhartha Muntaha in the Jannatul Ma'wa which is close to the Jannatul Ma'wa is Yaksha Siddhartha Ma Yaksha indeed the Siddhartha Muntaha is covered by that which covers it Ma Zaghal Basru Wa Ma Taha and Nabiya Kriyasun's sight never wavered uh, nor Ma nor did his sight ever transgress or did it ever exceed the limit and indeed Sayyidina Rasulullah definitely saw some of the tremendous and immense signs of your Rabb, of his Rabb, and he said the signs of his Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what, there are several terms here that are mentioned, Sayyidina Muntaha, uh, and what is that? So we did this for you before, that some say that this second sighting of Sayyidina Muntaha was when Sayyidina Rasulullah went for the Miraj, and Sayyidina Muntaha is viewed to be that lotus tree uh, which is that end point or the ultimate point by which none can pass that's mean by muntaha it refers to the end that point after which none can pass near it is the jannat ma'wa this means the garden of eternity so after that point of siddha muntaha and the samawat that you can't pass it the what do you reach after that that is this garden of eternity And then when obscurity veiled uh, in verse number 16, when the obscurity veiled the Siddhartha Muntaha, when Siddhartha was covered by that which covers it, so uh, here Sayyidina Rasulullah saw the Siddhartha Muntaha, which is something beautiful yet something enshrouded, but at that moment Allah SWT saying that the Prophet's sight never wavered, nor did his sight transgress at all. His sight didn't deviate his gaze and stray. His gaze remained fixed on it. And that's why he was accurately able to recount what he saw when he came back to earth. And he definitely saw some of the greatest signs of Allah Taala. And one sign of that which is mentioned in Sahih Muslim is that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masudun says that amongst the, the, what is this referred to, Allah Taala's greatest signs refers to the sighting of the angel Jibreel with all of his 600 wings and this is where the Prophet cited him at Siddhatul Muntaha.
and in the detailed narrations of the journey about the Miraj, uh, it is mentioned about the Siddhartha Muntaha and the tree, uh, which is the end, and uh, the fruit of Siddhartha Muntaha is so large, and we did this here before, is so large, and it's covered with leaves like gold and butterflies, so that is the covering that Allah SWT is mentioning over Siddhartha Muntaha, it's the adornment over that lotus tree. Alright. Jannatul Ma'wa. So Ma'wa means a place where a person takes up residence. Allah Qurtubi Rimullah Ta'ala has mentioned several possible interpretations of what is meant here by Jannatul Ma'wa. Number one, Jannatul Ma'wa is that Jannah where the Muttaqeen will reside. Second is Jannatul Ma'wa is that Jannah where the Shahada will reside. Third, Jannatul Ma'wa is that Jannah where Sayyidina Adam was living with Amahawa Radhan Anha and for all those many years before uh, Iblis came and whispered to him to eat from the tree. Fourth is Jannat Ma'wa is the place where the angels reside, yani where the angel Jibreel himself resides. So Allah SWT knows best uh, what uh, what Jannat Ma'wa is. Right? Verses number 19 onwards, uh, comparing basically the false sums seeing of the angel Jibreel, that Allah Ta'ala asked the disbelievers, that have you ever seen Lat or Uzza? Or the third other one, her name is Manat. So these were the three big idols who uh, the Mushrikeen used to worship. And particularly these were also three of the idols that they viewed them to be the daughters of Allah SWT. So here Allah SWT is asking them that the Prophet has seen, uh, the angel Jabril, have you ever seen? Can you ever claim that you have ever seen? Do you even have it anywhere in your creed and your belief that you have ever seen these three? And obviously the answer to that is no, right? So then Allah SWT says in verse 22, and indeed this is a unfair division uh, that you are making this is an unfair it's a bizarre and an unfair division that you make what does that mean that either can mean first that you deny that the Prophet has seen the angel Jibreel Islam or you yourself have never seen your daughters second meaning was again that you like to divide progeny such that sons should be yours and daughters should be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Either within verse 23 was someone saying that illa asma'un that these are merely and only names samaytumuha antum wa aba'ukum that you and your forefathers have designated and kept ma anzalallahu bihi min sultan and Allah for which Allah Ta'ala has sent no evidence and no basis and no authority whatsoever in yattabi'una illa zanna and indeed they are following merely their conjecture, speculation. And they are following whatever their nafs desires. Anfus is plural. Whatever their anfus desires. Whatever their egos and passions desire. But indeed, even though 
Hidayah has come indeed to them from their Rabb. So the notion here is that why are they believing in these things? They do it because of their nafs. They do it because of their nafs. They follow their own desires. So this happens, right? Then Masfalas says, Amlil insani ma tamanna, and indeed should a human being or should or can or will a human being ever always have what they desire? You know, is the human being to always have what they desire? So no, on this earth, you are not always going to have whatever you desire. Alright. What was the main thing they desired here is that they desired that these pagan idols would mm, intercede for them against Allah subhanahu wa on the day of judgment. So now, in Alama Ibn Hajr al-Skalani, Rimulatana's famous commentary, Fatul Bari in the Sahih Bukhari has mentioned something about these Lat, Manat and Uzza. So Lat was actually a person from Taif and uh, the word Lat is derived from the word Latta Yalutu and Lat lived in the vicinity of Taif and he owned some goats. Now whenever a traveler would pass him by, he used the milk of the goats to prepare a something like a kir you can say, which he gave to the travelers and he also gave them a beverage to drink. So uh, when he died, uh, People used to say that no, Lot has not really died. He has entered into a rock. And then people started worshipping that rock. First they took that rock as a memorial or a mausoleum as you can say. And then as time went by they started worshipping the rock. So the Muhaddithin mentioned all these different narrations because to show people how shirk um, started out. And many times people were actually real people and not in this case, but even sometimes prophets, right? I mean, some Islamic scholars speculate the Buddha may even have been a prophet of Allah SWT sent to the Chinese in ancient times, but then they corrupted his teaching and then decided to make a god and an idol and a statue out of him, just like the Christians, saying that Isa was a prophet sent by Allah SWT, but then they corrupted that teaching and chose to make a son of God uh, after Sayyidina Islam passed away. So here, this was about Lot second Uzza, the Uzza uh, itself was just the name of a white rock and a person started simply worshipping that white rock. Third uh, is Manat and that Alama Kurtabiranta has written that the name Manat was adopted for the idol because this is the place with the altar upon which they used to sacrifice their animals. Uh, that was the sacrificial altar was known as Manat. There, you know, different uh, incidents of the destruction of these. So, because they were literally big idols. So, the Banu Thaqif lived in Daif, and that was where this big rock idol of Lot was stationed. When the Banu Thaqif accepted Islam, they requested Sayyidina Rasulullah to re- let their Lot remain standing for three years and then destroy it. But Sayyidina Rasulullah did not permit this. And he sent Sayyidina Abu Sufyan and Sayyidina Maghri ibn Shobah to demolish that idol in Taif, that idol of Lot. And uh, the people of Taif later then confessed to the Prophet their reluctance in demolishing Lot because there was their original God. This gives you, uh, I will comment on something that happened more recently in recent times, the destruction of the Buddhist idols in Afghanistan, in a place, Ghalaban, Bamiyan, I believe it was. And a lot of people raised a hue and cry, and then certain Muslim modernist scholars also felt that you should not destroy idols. 
And one thing that they put was that for all of Islamic history in Afghanistan, nobody ever tried to destroy those idols. But one simple answer to that is that for the vast majority of Islamic history, Muslims do not have dynamite and bombs and missiles and weapons and explosives which would be able to destroy those idols. So it was such a massive task um, because they were apparently so massive. So without explosives, you would not be able to bring them down. So that historical argument is moot. I mean, the Muslims historically do not have the capacity to take it down. So in history, the Muslims, yes, there were certainly definitely many pious Islamic rulers in Afghanistan who had that land, but they did not have the ability to take it down. In contemporary times, you had that ability. So the real question, the real proof, and this is why those modernist scholars very skillfully avoid mention of the Prophet, the Quran, the Hadith, and the argument. They just bring up history because no, the Quran and Hadith is against them. And you don't know these incidents, right? So this incident is very important. That there was this big idol lot, big stone idol lot in Taif. The Banu Thaqif accepted Islam. But they were such new entrants, forget non-Muslim, new Muslims, they wanted to keep that idol for three more years. And Sayyidina Rasulullah said, no, that once you accept Islam, and now you are the major m- m- tribe in Taif, you can basically mean that when the Banu, it means that the people of Taif have accepted Islam, now Islam has to be implemented in Taif, and that means that the idols have to be destroyed. So it's Ayn Sunnah, it's the Sunnah of Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam also, right, who is the Abrahamic prophet, and that story is something that is in Jewish scriptures, the Christian scriptures of his destruction of the idols. So in fact, it's a purely monotheistic, Abrahamic thing to do, to destroy idols. It's not some fanatical, terroristic, Islamic thing to do. It's a Judeo-Christian, Islamic thing to do. If they had been true to their own teachings of Judaism and Christianity, uh, to destroy idols. Some then say, no, no, but it's civilization. Yes, you know, possibly an argument could have been made uh, that if they were lesser idols, the Japanese could have been allowed to buy them and they would be allowed to preserve their civilization because Islam does say that you should not disrespect the religion of others. But this, these were massive, carved, almost like Mount Rushmore type idols. You could not transport them, right? Uh, and here, this was the ikhtiyah. I mean, there's no doubt in any way that this is highly recommended. You could say that was it required or could you have sold them to the Japanese. Okay, maybe you could have said the Emir had that ikhtiyar, but the Emir exercised his ikhtiyar and said we destroy the idols, right? And so be it. Uh, and the amount that the West was so upset about the destruction of those rocks, the West has not been so upset about the destruction of real human lives, right? So that also shows a real irony and sarcasm. Fair, I mean certain people in the West, not everybody in the West is like that, many people in the West uh, actually, the vast majority of people in the West, in terms of people, have been against the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Here, all right. Just to mention to you, you should know that that is part of the Sunnah of the Bi'akrim Sallam, the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rabbi Salam, to destroy idols. Yes, even though people believe in those idols, even though people worship those idols, because monotheism will always try to eradicate. True monotheism will always try to eradicate polytheism. Right? Then. Similarly, Sayyidina Rasulullah dispatched the same Sayyidina Abu Sufyan uh, to destroy Manat, which is another idol. And the third idol was Uzza, and in that also Fatimah, after Fatimaka, Sayyidina Rasulullah said Sayyidina Khalid ibn Walid to destroy Uzza. Alright? So you have 
in all of these narrations clearly that the three big idols uh, were destroyed or ordered by the Prophet to be destroyed. Okay. So verse 25. And to Allah subhanahu ta'ala alone belongs the akhirah. Means to Allah subhanahu ta'ala alone uh, belongs the end and the beginning. Literally, you can say to Allah subhanahu ta'ala belongs the end and the beginning. It also means to Allah subhanahu ta'ala alone belongs the akhirah and all that is preceding to it, all that is prior and preceding to it. وَكَمْ مِنْ مَلَكٍ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ لَا تُغْنِي شَفَاءَتُهُمْ شَيْئًا إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنْ يَأْذَنَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَرْضَى And how many angels are there in the heavens, however, how many are the angels in the heavens whose intercession will not be of any avail, intercession will not benefit anyone except after when Allah SWT allows it. Allah Ta'ala, except after Allah given permission to them, and Allah Ta'ala give permission to whomsoever Allah Ta'ala wants, لِمَنْ whomsoever He wants, وَيَذَا and whomsoever it pleases Him to give permission. So this is again, first the reference in this passage is refutation, refutation of their false belief that their idols or their false gods would be able to intercede on their behalf against Allah SWT in the Day of Judgment. And here Allah is saying in a strong way, even the angels will not be able to intercede on anybody's behalf other than that Allah SWT gives permission to do so. But again, it is also in a shara that Allah Taala will give permission. And uh, man is arm, it can mean from the man yashab, the man in that can be from the angels or from anyone. Um, but the first interesting thing here is that some angels will be allowed to intercede for people in the Akhirah. Alright? Uh, and who those angels are and who they will be allowed to intercede for, Allah Ta'ala knows best. One aspect of that can mean though that the angel who writes your good deeds on the right side or on your right shoulder may be allowed to intercede for you on the Day of Judgment. But Allah Ta'ala knows best. Alright? Then uh, we have... Verses 27 and 28. In Indeed, those who do not have belief in the Akhirah, they have given the angels feminine names, female names, again because they thought that the angels were female and they thought that the angels were the daughter of Allah SWT. But Allah says, But they have no basis in that whatsoever. They possess no knowledge about that at all. And they are doing nothing other than following their own mere assumption and speculation and conjecture. And you should know that baseless speculation and pointless conjecture will not have, will be absolutely useless minal haqqi shay'a will be absolutely useless against the absolute truth uh, will have no avail in matters of truth alright okay so the first thing there was that the, they are ascribing these false names but here is the status of assumptions and zan and so we wanted to make it clear here that yes many times there is this word zan so zan has been used in two ways in the Arabic language. And I say this because some 
uh, commentators, especially Hamdi uh, Sab, has misled people with this ayah, and that is as follows: that zan, when it's used in Quran, zan is often used in a lexical, lingual sense to mean mere speculation and baseless conjecture. And in many places in Quran, Allah Subhanahu uses it to show the labels the beliefs, the false beliefs of disbelievers as zan, meaning their false beliefs, for example, they believe in this idol, that idol, the other idol, or they believe that there's no life after death, or even the atheist belief that there is no God. All of the false beliefs of disbelievers are labeled by Allah Subhanahu in Quran as zan, because zan is being used in Quran in a strictly lexical sense, which means baseless mere speculation and baseless conjecture. And then because Allah Ta'ala has used Zan in Quran so many times for that way, then sometimes Allah Subhanahu Quran has reprimanded Zan and has said that Zan is not good and you should not follow Zan. Right. It so happened that the ulama of Usul and Tafsir and Hadith and Fiqh, they used the word Zan in a different way. They're not using it in that Quranic sense and what is that that they said, okay, there's something called Qati and there's something called Zanni. And Qati means those, uh, either those texts or those meanings of texts that you know to be sure at an absolute level of certainty beyond any doubt whatsoever, beyond any shadow of a doubt. Alright, that is called Qati. For example, that you know the Qur'an al-Karim is the authentic word of Allah in our deen that is viewed as something that is qati, absolutely unshakable certainty. And, for example, I'll give you an example of a meaning. So when Allah Ta'ala says in Qur'an, huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir, that He has power over everything. So the meaning of that is absolutely qati, it's crystal clear. There is no exception to this, that there's anything anything which is accepted from this ayah, that Allah does not, is this now, that Allah doesn't have power over ABC, everything except ABC, no. It is absolutely mutlaq in its meaning, means there is no qualification that Allah has a certain kind of power, doesn't have another kind of power, no, right? So the, that is an example for you of meanings in Islam that are qati. Then when they set the bar so high, when they chose to use this Arabic term qati, which is not a Quranic terminology, but they were coining their own terminology. This is called istilah. They were coining terminology wazul istilah, and they used the word qati to denote that level of certainty that you have that the Quran is the word of Allah and that the meanings of the verses like we mentioned to you are absolutely true. So then they wanted to coin another word, right, for something that was below qati, such as, for example, let's say, a khabar wahid, which is a hadith, that has been narrated by one sahaba and one tabi, but then in the time of tabai tabi, and then many people have narrated it. So that's called a khabar wahid, that's a particular type of hadith. There are many sahih hadith and Bukhari and Muslim that are actually khabar wahid. So the word they use for this is zanni. They weren't using it in the Quranic sense at all. By zan, they meant what is called zanni ghalib. And zan there didn't mean mere conjecture, mere speculation and baseless conjecture. And there you said zan meant highly probable, very plausible. Right? So you've got absolute certainty, and then you've got something that is highly probable, very plausible. Kati means beyond any doubt. Zanni means beyond reasonable doubt. So yes, there's a shadow of a trace of a doubt, but that doubt is not 
is marginable, that doubt is negligible, and therefore we will still view this as authoritative and authentic ilm and knowledge. Now what happens is that Ramdi and his students, what they do is they will pick up passages from books of fiqh and usul and hadith. That look, even the entire traditional scholars have called this hadith a khabar wahid. And then look, they say a khabar wahid is zanni. And look what Allah Ta'ala says about zan in Quran that you shouldn't follow it. So they're going against Quran, they're following hadith that are mere speculation and baseless conjecture. But that's not right, because when the scholars called the hadith zanni, they weren't using that word in the way that the Quran was using it. Right? They were using it in their own sense of the term, in their own usage, and that was actually ghalib, not mere speculation and basis conjecture, but extremely high probability and very highly plausible that this is a meaning. So I wanted to make it clear since we did this one ayah about this one set of ayat about zan about this deception that has taken place. All right, inshallah, someday we will try. Uh, some day or I should say some year we will inshallah try to offer you a course on hadith and its usul right so that now that you have understood Quran al-Kareem and you have understood that wahi wahi matloob you should also understand wahi ghayr matloob what is the hadith and sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah and we are hopeful and confident that with the same uh, passion and sincerity that you came to listen about Kalamullah with the same passion and sincerity you will come to listen about Kalamul Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Alright Okay Now we're turning back to Surah Najm Now we're on verse 29 So therefore you should turn away from that person, man who is turned away from us. Man an zikrina, who is turned away from our dhikr, means again, turned away from our Quran, turned away from our reminder, turned away from our remembrance, turned away from our salah. All four things are mentioned here. Zikr means five things even you can say. Number one, it means Quran. Number two, it means the reminder and nasiha that is in Quran. Number three, it means zikr, the act of remembering Allah subhanahu wa Number four, it means the, uh, means salah. So you could take any of these meanings here, but what the more likely meaning right here is the reminder and remembrance that is being contained in Quran al-Kareem, yani the advice and admonishment. وَلَمْ يُرِدْ إِلَّا الْحَيَاةُ dunya, And they don't want anything except the life of this world. Right now, if we were to apply this verse in our life, uh, what does it mean? This is Sayyidina Rasulullah is being told to do this after he has made da'wah on such a person. After he has done the balag. Doesn't mean you turn away from them and you don't do the balag, you don't do the da'wah. After you have communicated and delivered the message of Deen of Islam, after you have then invited that person to reflect and believe in that message of Islam, and after you have invited them to live and follow that message of Islam, if after that, man tawalla then they still turn away from that advice, after it has been presented to them and has reached them and they've been invited to it and the reason is why وَلَمْ يُرِدْ إِلَّا الْحَيَاةُ dunya, and they want nothing else other than the life of this world at that point then you have to turn away from such a person your time is too valuable your time is too precious you have to take that balag and dawah to somebody else or you have to be 
inviting yourself and working on yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and then that is the extent of their knowledge. What is the extent of their knowledge? The life of this world. That is the extent of their knowledge. That they're interested in this world and all that it contains, the life and the life of this world. So what does it mean? The extent of their knowledge is material, is superficial, is about progress in this world. They don't have any understanding or knowledge about Akhirah or progress or attainment in the Akhirah. It can also mean that the extent of their knowledge, this is what they love, they have love for the dunya, they don't have love for the Akhirah. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ ذَلَّ أَنْ سَبِيلِهِ Indeed, Allah Ta'ala says that indeed your Rabb knows best who has strayed from his path, from his sabil. And Allah Ta'ala knows best who أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ اِتَّدَى And Allah Ta'ala knows best about who has chosen to accept and follow the hidayah and accept and follow the guidance وَلَلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ And to Allah Ta'ala belongs each and every belongs absolute ownership, possession, dominion, sovereignty over each and every single thing that is in the heavens and each and every single thing that is in the earth so that Allah Ta'ala may then retribute and recompense those who do evil for what for the evil actions they did and so Allah Ta'ala may reward those who have done good with that which is best May reward those who did virtue with that which is virtuous and noble and excellent. Alright? So here, uh, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that everybody will get what they deserve. Allah ta'ala knows best who has received the guidance, who does not receive it, who accepts the guidance, who goes astray, and Allah ta'ala knows everything that you do, and Allah ta'ala will reward people justly for what they have done. Who are those people? Who are those people who Allah Ta'ala mentioned as Alladina Ahsanu bin Husna? Who are those people who have done Ahsan? Who are those people who are preaching virtue and nobility? So here Allah Ta'ala mentions in the next verse, verse number 32, who they are. Very important ayah of Quran al That who are Alladina Ahsanu? This is an ayah of Allah Ta'ala's incredible mercy, right? Who are the Alladina Asana? They are Alladina Yajdanibuna Kabair al Ithmi. We've done this for you before. Was Fawahisha Illallamat. So they are those who stay away from the major sins. I've done this for you a few days ago, right? What the major sins are. And they stay away from Fawahish, they stay away from vile acts of crude, immoral indecency. That's really, you need a mouthful to explain to you the powerful meaning of this word fawahish. That they stay away from shameful and immoral indecency and crude and lewd acts. Illallaman. What does this mean? So literally it means that accepting minor infractions. Accepting minor infractions. So the word here is lamam. This here refers to minor infractions. I'm using the word infraction as opposed to sin, right? Infraction means number one, something that a person does inadvertently, not deliberately. Second meaning of this infraction is that 
may be something that they've done that they've made massive toba for. Right? So these people are particular about doing what is husna, they carry out good and virtuous deeds according to the best level of virtue. They stay away from kabair and they stay away from fawahish and either they've never done any minor sin or if they did the slightest of infraction, they immediately made toba for it. Right? So this means that in order to be amongst the Alladina Ahsanu, even if we occasionally do minor sins not deliberately, or if we do a minor sin deliberately but immediately make Tawbah to Allah SWT for it, then what does that mean? That means that we can, as long as we remain on that Tawbah, but as long as we stay away from the Kabair and the Fawahish, then we can also become amongst the Alladina Ahsanu. Again, we've explained before that we should never look at how minor the sin is, but we should look at how major that being is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who uh, is against who we are sinning. And we should also know that Sunan of Ibn Majah, Sayyidina Aisha and Nari said the Prophet someone said to her, Ya Aisha, beware of these seemingly insignificant sins because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has appointed a being to be vigilant of them. Means Allah ta'ala has appointed the angel on the left shoulder to be vigilant of even the most minor of sins that we do. Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa is uh, going to forgive us for these minor infractions? So this is because Allah subhanahu wa said that inna rambaka wa that indeed your Rabb is extremely forgiving, has a vast expanse of forgiveness, has a limitless extensive forgiveness. So what does it mean that Allah's his wasim maghfirah is what is required to forgive our minor sins? Yes. So that itself is an indication that they're lamam, but what is the maghfirah that is required to forgive them? Wasih. So no matter how minor those infractions are, it is the massive forgiveness of Allah SWT that will enable us to be discounted from them. Or second, and second meaning is that why would somebody be Allah asana if they still do minor sins? Even if they stay away from Kabir, stay away from Fawahish, still the fact that they do these minor sins should never let them become Alladina Asanu. That is Allah Ta'ala's massive forgiveness. That He's so happy that you stay away from the major sins and Fawahish that Allah Ta'ala happily then forgives you for your minor sins. And Allah Ta'ala is saying that Allah Ta'ala is the most aware of you, He is the best aware of you. He knows you best, and He is the one who originally produced you and created you from the earth. And then indeed you are simply uh, fetuses covered in the wombs of your mothers. This means that you do not, it means that do not ascribe tazkiyah to yourself. That's the literal translation. Do not ascribe tazkiyah to yourself means don't claim purity for yourself. Because Allah subhanahu knows best who is the person who has taqwa. This is another very important lesson. That on the one hand Allah Ta'ala mentions His forgiveness, but here Allah Ta'ala says that we should not ascribe tazkiyah to ourselves. So Allah Ta'ala knows best. He knows everything about us. Everything about us. So we shouldn't praise ourselves. We shouldn't praise our actions. We shouldn't tell others about our good deeds with the intention that they will praise us or they will revere us. We shouldn't boast about our deeds. In our own heart, we shouldn't have ujab. We shouldn't have self-praise or vanity or conceit 
but rather we have to become people who are humility. And this is why many uh, of the people would say, and especially the Mashaik from Hind, because they felt that, okay, we cannot, they're doing Amal in this ayah, we cannot say that we are people who have Tazkiyah. So even Mashaik of Hind, they used to write for themselves, they would write Al-Abdul Asi, they would say that I am the sinful slave, right? Uh, or I am the, the sinner of sinners. Uh, and they would adopt such titles, right? Uh, because they felt that they should not uh, not this name. At the same time, however, right, other ulama have said that they shouldn't write this about themselves. They shouldn't refer to yourself as you say, Gunagarbanda, ye ajis Gunagarbanda, ye katai. Because other ulama have said that no, fine, Allah Ta'ala said you shouldn't ascribe taqwa to yourself, but that doesn't mean you should ascribe sin to yourself. That is also unbefitting the mercy and forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean? This is what they say, mitna. You have to erase all labels from yourself. That the sunno and takalluf of calling yourself a sinner and the possible ujub and kibr of calling yourself a muttaki. You have to erase all labels for yourself. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the end. That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who knows best about the people who have Taqwa. Alright. Now from verses uh, 33 onward is an incident uh, about a particular person. So let me uh, first give you the background to this incident. Uh, and then you will see because here, Have you not seen that person who is spurned away and turned away from Allah? And first he gave a little and then stopped. أَإِنْدِهُ إِلْمُ الْغَيْبِ فَهُوَ يَرَى Does such a person have knowledge of the unseen in such a state that he is able to see and perceive it clearly? أَمْ لَمْ يُنَبَّأْ بِمَا فِي صُحُفٍ مُوسَى Or was it that were they not informed about what had been revealed in the scriptures of Sayyidina Musa salam and وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ الَّذِي وَفَّى And in the scriptures of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam who was وَفَّى who is that Ibrahim who completely fulfilled all of his commitments? All right. So before we mention what are those things, so verse uh, 38 onwards will mention those things that are in those earlier scriptures. What is this incident? So there was a person by the name of Walid, and he was impressed by the Bismillah of Quran, and he started showing some interest in Deen of Islam. And Sayyidina Rasulullah was happy that he was showing this interest in the deen of Islam and drawing closer and the Prophet began to have hope that this person would convert. However, one of his fellow mushrikeen started teasing Walid, saying you're going to leave the religion of your forefathers, you think if you die, the religion of this person, Yani Sayyidina Rasulullah will benefit you. No, uh, you should return to your religion. And that mushrik told him that I will bear the punishment, that you stay a mushrik, and I, this other mushrik, this person told him that if you will be ever punished for shirk, I will take that punishment from you. But he, uh, so therefore what happened was that Walid uh, lost his interest uh, in the deen of Islam. And interesting, the person told him that but you have to pay me a certain amount. So give me $500 and I will take the punishment. So he gave him a little bit, but then he stopped and so it's in reference to this incident that Allah subhanahu wa revealed these verses, these verses, right? So number one, um, that have you seen him who turns away, and he will leave, turned away from the vehicle and turned away. But he gave a little bit of that protection money 
to that other mushrik, protection money against Allah SWT, and then he stopped. So does he have some knowledge of the unseen? So all of this is just fabricated. And hasn't he been told about all of these things that have come in the earlier scriptures? So what are those things? So number one, that no one will be able to bear the burden of another one. No burden bearer will be able to bear the burden of another burden bearer, which means that nobody can tell you that, that I will take your burden of sins and give me this much money and I will take the burden of sins when they come. So does he not acquaint him with this universal fact? When Allah subhanahu mentions Sayyidina Ibrahim Sayyidina Musa Allah subhanahu is trying to show that this is a universal fact that was sent with all deen and those universal facts, those are what we call of Allah Hissi. Those are things that everyone's innate morality, their innate common sense should enable them to realize. And there's something called ifal ishari that you would need the Sharia to tell you. For example, pork is haram. You would need Sharia to tell you that. You would not have been innate on the basis of your inherent instinctual humanity and morality. You wouldn't have been able to realize that reality. You wouldn't be able to realize that that pork is prohibited. But these are type of things that a person should be able to realize on the basis of simply their humanity. And the next is famous ayah, we've mentioned this to you many times, And the second thing is that no human being will ever get anything except that, which for, that for which they strive and that which they work for. And very soon they will see, uh, you know, they will see the, they will see the efforts, they will see the, the fruit of their efforts. Uh, indeed, their efforts and striving will be seen. And then what will happen? And then they will be given their recompense and they will be requited in full and complete. And the ultimate end will be towards your Rabb. And who is that? And it's certainly Allah Swanta who causes people, makes people, causes people, causes laughter, causes one to laugh, and causes one to cry. And he is that same Allah Swanta who brings to death and he brings to life. And it's that same Allah Swanta who has created couples and mates. You need the male and the female. Min nutfatin ida tumna. And for Allah Subhanahu wa created from a seed when it issues forth, when it is emitted. Wanna alayhin nash atal ukhra. And then the second creation, the second creation to the resurrection, that is also going to be Allah Subhanahu wa committed to that second creation. It is His responsibility. Alright. So there are several things that Allah Subhanahu wa has mentioned over here. Uh, that this is something that Walid specifically should have realized, but generally a sign that Allah SWT is mentioning. Uh, and Allah SWT is that being who grants ghina, who grants wealth and affluence, affluence or makes a person uh, destitute or poor, right? Uh, you can also say, uh, that's one way to translate it, but another way is that you can say that Allah is that being who uh, enriches a person's wealth and wa'akna and then makes it sufficient for them. Makes them have qanat, makes them sufficient for them.
Alright. This I've done with you before, but here is that a person will uh, do, uh, will have whatever. Um, Yusali Swab I've done for you before that Yusali Swab is that uh, although yes a person will have what their efforts are but somebody can transfer their efforts to somebody else but not in Iman but only in A'mal right uh, and for example there's a Sahidi that mentions the concept of Hajji Badal and that was when Sayyidina Rasulullah he saw the Sahaba came to the Prophet and the Prophet uh, he told the Prophet that my father was never able to do Hajj so the Prophet told that you can offer Hajj on his behalf, means that you will do the Hajj, but the sabab of that Hajj will go into his record. So uh, that is an, uh, similarly Sadaqa when you give charity. Now the different ulama have had different opinions on this issue about these other acts of worship, for example, recitation of Quran or making dhikr. Can the rewards reach the deceased? So according to Imam Abunifa and Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, according to the Hanafi and Hanbali understanding of Islamic law, any and all acts uh, that you wish to send on behalf of the soul of a dead person or even a living person for that matter will go to their account if that is your intention. And for the Shafi and Maliki ulama, physical acts of worship cannot be transferred to anyone, whether you pray to Nafil Salah or Dua for Umrah, you can't do that. For them, Hajj Badl is an exception, it's not on Hadith, uh, but otherwise they say that no, only Mali, only monetary acts of worship can be transferred to a person. So there's multiple positions there. But as we know in our deen, two things, Inna Malam Malam and secondly, Anna in the Zani Abdibi, that Allah Ta'ala says that I will be with my servant as he views me to be. So, uh, if our view is that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala will, uh, you know, accept that act of ours on behalf of someone else, and that is our niyyah, then we can hope that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala will uh, do that. We've done for you before that Sadaqa Jariya, a charity that one leaves behind that continues to benefit people, knowledge, ilm that they either teach or they impart or they write that continues to benefit people, and pious children who make dua for the deceased. These are three things that Nabi Yaqusa mentioned in the hadith that will continue to benefit a person after they pass away. Right? What does this mean when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam that he was the one who had fulfilled his command uh, that he was waffa. So this is something Allah Subhanahu wa also mentioned earlier in Quran in Surah Bakr verse one twenty four. And the notion is that Saint Abraham fulfilled the trust that Allah Subhanahu wa bestowed upon him in uh, his mission, mission and message as the messenger and prophet of Allah Subhanahu wa Some say specifically waffa here is referring to what we did a few days ago. Allah Taala's command to offer his son. Sayyidina Ismail is in sacrificial, in a, in a sacrifice. Uh, but uh, Allah, either way, that Sayyidina Ibrahim fulfilled everything that Allah Subhanahu had asked. Indeed, when now this laughing and crying, so here that Allah Subhanahu from this verse 43 onwards, Allah Subhanahu is giving it the seal of the fact that Allah Ta'ala has power over everything. 
Now laughing and crying means number one, Allah Ta'ala has given people the ability to laugh and cry. Second, it means that Allah Ta'ala has put in people the emotions of happiness and joy upon which they laugh and the emotions of sadness and grief upon which they cry. Third meaning is that Allah Ta'ala sends upon people those halat, those situations and those turns in their life which sometimes enable, make them laugh, prompt them to laugh and prompt them to cry. Fourth, it really is also, and not really, but it can also and ultimately be referring to spiritual ecstasy and spiritual sadness. And that sense, that it's only Allah SWT, the qurb with Allah SWT, the fuzzle of Allah SWT, the karam of Allah SWT, the tanjaliyat, waridat of Allah SWT, that make a person spiritually happy. And it is that absence of that, or if Allah SWT withdraws that from someone, that will make a person cry. Verse 44 is explanatory that Allah Ta'ala brings uh, causes to die and it brings to life. This that Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala uh, has created wealth uh, and then He can make a person nourished and sustained by that. Uh, this is, qanaat means, wa aqna, qanaat means that you, uh, you are sufficient uh, and uh, you are self-reliant. And so some, this could mean poor, because it could mean a person who has little, but it can also simply mean that a person who is uh, enriched and preserved and sustained and sufficient by their wealth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can enrich a person's wealth and he can sustain and preserve that person's wealth. Now here, verse number 49, And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the rub of shi'ra, so Shira was a star that normally they translate in English as Sirius. This was the, there were a certain group of people who were star worshippers. And they used to worship this star. And they believed, like in an astrological sense, that this star had some effect on their life. Uh, and this is a good thing to know that all of astrology is absolutely prohibited in Islam to believe that horoscopes or the positioning of the constellations of the stars on the day you were born or on any other day of your life has any effect on you that is a haram belief and to perpetuate that is wrong and here Al-Smat is doing an ishara then to all such astrologers and star worshippers that he is the rub of those stars that you worship so you should rather worship that Allah that being who is the rub of those stars and this is something that Allah has uh, destroyed uh, the people of um, Ad, the earlier community of Ad, and Allah Subhanahu Taala also destroyed the community of Thamud. So Ula, you can say the early or ancient community of Ad, and was Thamud the Fama Abka, and also Allah Taala destroyed Thamud, not allowing them to survive, such that none remained. min and even earlier and prior to that. Even before that, Allah Ta'ala destroyed the Qawm, the people of Nuh salam. Why? Innuhum kanuhum adlama wa atla. For they were the most zalim and the most, you know, the most unjust, the most tyrannical. And they were wa the most rebellious, the most cruel. Then Allah Ta'ala says, well, well, mu'tafikata ahwa. And then Allah Ta'ala also overthrew the cities and these cities are referring to uh, the people of um, what is it called people of Lut uh, and then whatever it was that they were doing they were 
overwhelmed and covered by what it was they used to do, right? So they were so enveloped that they were by that which enveloped, they were covered by what they were on, means that the two things happened, that they were lifted up, flipped and turned down. This is Harmani Yaqub. Yadin. That they were lifted up and they were turned down such that they were enveloped by that, engulfed by that very same earth upon which they committed those acts of sin. Right? Verse 55, that which of the favors and blessings of your, now here is Rabbika, this is the Ka as opposed to Kama, Ka is singular, it means O Prophet so which of the bounties and favors of your Rabb would then you doubt? Alright? Now, earlier this had come, uh, this surah is a And this uh, is a warner from amongst the earlier warners. Hadha, this could refer to number one Quran al-Karim. Second Hadha could also refer to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam. But the Quran al-Karim and the Prophet both are from uh, those that are going to warn humanity against the punishment for disobedience. Azifatil Azifa. And uh, this means that the swiftly approaching matter has swiftly arrived, that that which is impending has approached. That may be better way to say That which is impending and imminent has approached. And there is no being other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can reveal it, who can... Uh, there is no being Allah subhanahu who can reveal that matter, that's the first translation that can reveal it to come or you can, as he has translated there, there is no one who can avert it who can uh, stave it off that are you astonished about this matter do you wonder then at this discourse and then you laugh instead of crying that you laugh at it instead of weeping and you were even continuing to be boastful and arrogant, uh, or you can say samadun that you were engaged in uh, vain and idle pastime. So then Allah Ta'ala says that you should make sajda to Allah and you should do ibadah of Him, you should prostrate to Allah Ta'ala and you should worship Him. Means when you reflect on the coming of the end of time and that it is swiftly coming and is imminent and impending and no one can divert it. So when Allah Subhanahu is asking here, Allah is asking humanity that whether you are astonished at the warnings of Quran, the coming of Qiyamah, that you adopt a proud or arrogant attitude or mocking attitude towards Islam, so know the only, and then you are doing so such that you are Samidun, right? So Samidun is from Samud, which means to lift the head proudly. Uh, and this can be used sometimes your vain play, it's sometimes some entertainment and vain play, but it can also be out of arrogance. So it can be either way, are you arrogant or are you laughing at it and not weeping because of your arrogance or are you laughing at it and not weeping because you're engaged in idle and vain play. And these are both reasons why a person is unable to cry 
either because they're arrogant or because they're caught up in their own idle pastimes, their own recreation. They cannot feel the enormous weight of the message of Qur'an. They cannot feel the enormity of the impending and imminent nature of the Day of Judgment. So the cure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions to all of this is that one should fall in sajda and do ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean that a person should be moved that when they hear about Allah Ta'ala's immense powers on the Day of Judgment uh, that they should fall into prostration. Alright, so here we ended Surah Al-Najm. Surah Al-Kamar. Surah Al-Kamar is Surah number 54 and the one right before Surah Rahman it is also a Makki Surah and this is going to mention in the first ayah there's a miracle, very famous miracle of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. These are known as Mu'jizat A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Rahman Rahim Iqtalamati Sa'atu Wan Shaqqal Qamar So this is in Shaqqal Qamar is being referred to here First uh, indeed that Qiyamah has drawn near So actually this itself is a sign of the Day of Judgment And what was this? That the moon has been split Alright In a hadith narrated by Imam Bukh Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam Sayyidina Al-Rasulullah narrates that the Mushrikeen asked Sayyidina Rasulullah to show them a miracle. So what he did was he split the moon. How did that happen? So the Prophet called the people to witness the moon split into two parts. Uh, and the notion is that literally it was cracked and then one part of the moon was in one part of the sky and another part of the moon was in the other part of the sky and say, I'll say Abdullah bin Masood and another Rewai in Bukhari says that one part became visible on top of a mountain and one part became visible below a mountain some have even said that this incident occurred more than once Imam Tirmidhi has reported that the splitting of the moon occurred twice uh, and uh, the first two uh, verses are referring to when it happened in Makkah Mukarramah. But notwithstanding that, that even though they asked the Prophet for a miracle, and he did that, and that is a very, you know, even for people who are non-scientific, uh, to split the moon, but for a person who has science and who knows what the moon is, it's a, you know, it's a subplanetary body, but it's a sizable object. And to from an ishara to be able to split it reflects an absolute miraculous power, right? Uh, so actually the believers in science are supposed to actually use their understanding of science to view these things as even more miraculous as opposed to using their science in an atheistic way to make them deny and refute miracles. Alright? So, but however, what happened? Because the book they still chose to deny and disbelieve and they falsified the Prophet they rejected the truth they did not accept Nabi Yaqeem why? what is it that they're doing? so they instead followed their whims even though everything that is ordained every matter ordained has been established Every ordained matter will certainly happen. Alright? 
So what does this mean? This shows that a person who is bent on following their desires, their whims and desires, their hawa, no matter how clear a proof they are shown, no matter how evident a proof they are shown, they will still not follow it. They still won't follow it. So again, we want to be very wary that as believers we should never have these attributes of disbelievers that if we see some clear proof about something in our deen, we know something crystal clear to be true, but we still choose to follow our whims and desires. Whatever excuse we give that we're lazy or we're busy or whatever, we don't want to follow those whims and desires. Right? And then, وَكُلُّ أَمْرٍ مُسْتَقِرٍ and this means, you know, that Allah SWT is saying in Qur'an that every single matter is established, every ordained matter will certainly come to pass. And here, the notion here is that truth will remain truth and falsehood will remain falsehood. Meaning that the haqq of that miracle remains what it is. It can also mean that whoever is meant to believe will believe and whoever is meant to disbelieve will disbelieve and no manifestation of any miracle will uh, you know, change their disbelief. So here, this was the enmity of their their enmity for the Deen of Islam that they uh, did not accept the splitting of the moon, right? The present day disbelievers, first objection they raise on this is scientifically. So they say that the moon would show some sign of cracks. That's what they say? The moon should show some sign of cracks. Okay. Does it sound like a rational objection to you? That the moon should show some sign of cracks. Okay. Whose power did this Allah SWT? Now you tell me if Allah SWT takes a piece of... Allah Ta'ala splits a piece of paper and Allah Ta'ala Allah joins it back are you ever going to be able to tell that it was split? Hmm? Yes, if a gargar does it, if some craftsman does it, then you would say that no, he could. there should be some seam, there should be some. But Allah's fault is that being who has all power, he flawlessly split it and he will flawlessly reconnect it. So that's a ludicrous assertion. right? We could only even accept that statement that there should be a crack if we accept that our Allah SWT is not all-powerful and He doesn't have the power to seamlessly, flawlessly connect the two pieces of the moon together. That's the assumption underlying that. That is no critique in any way. Second, uh, they say, uh, people today say that, well, it should have been in every book of history. Every European historian should have been writing that that day I was looking at the moon, right? Uh, that night I was looking at the moon and the moon was split into two pieces. This should be in global history. Chinese historians should have witnessed this. European historians should have witnessed this. African historians. This should have been the day of the splitting of the moon. Right? There are several possible answers to that. First possible answer is obviously when the moon is out, right, uh, in other parts of the world it's daytime, so you can't say everyone would have mentioned it. Second is that, yes, it's very likely that Allah Sponta made this, revealed this apparently only to the... Mm, Ahl Arab, only to the Ahl Arab who were there, Mushrikeen, Sahaba, all of them, and this was not something that was visible to everyone. Now, for example, you have other phenomena today scientifically, there's a certain type of eclipse, right? There are only certain places on earth where you can see it. Sometimes it happens. Then these eclipse watchers, it's a type of tourism, then they will go and travel to that place on earth, right? Now, if I was to say to a scientist that eclipse never happened, 
He'll say, well, because in Pakistan I was looking, I didn't see anything. He'll say, that, well, look, but scientifically this was a phenomenon, a solar slash lunar, depending on the nature phenomenon, that was only observable from certain points on Earth. Right? So maybe, maybe, because we don't know the tafsil of how this happened. Maybe the, even Allah made this happen in a certain scientific way, in a way that scientifically was only perceivable to that particular location on Earth, like certain other astronomical phenomena are sometimes only observable, although they're happening, but they're only observable by certain latitudes and longitudes on Earth. It's, it's actually it's just the niyat of these so-called scientists, right? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you should use your science to invent something for the country. You should use your science to win a Nobel Prize. Uh, you should have used your science to lead to development as opposed to using your scientific... De- you're called a PhD. You use that to call yourself a scientist and you tr- use this veneer authority of a scientist to atheistically critique the Qur'an and Allah SWT. Right? And I remember I also tell openly, I'm, I'm amazed at this particular person. He's written a whole book on this. I don't know why, I mean, people have to refute him, you know. You don't have time for that. Even anyone of you could refute him. First, he's written things about Ghazali, they're an absolute lie. Anybody who's read Ghazali can refute it, right? Second, he blames Islam for the reason science has not progressed in this country. I happened to go once to University of Punjab, me personally, into the biology lab of University of Punjab. You just need to spend five minutes in that biology lab to understand why there's no Nobel Prize in biology in this country. It's not because of the Maldives. Okay? You have to look in the lab, look at the equipment, look at the researcher, look at the student. And it has nothing to do with Islam. Nothing. Islam has not stopped scientific inquiry. And you'll go, honestly, go to, go to GIK, go to every, go to Lunds. Every single university science lab, there is no Maldives stopping anyone from doing any scientific research. I'm sorry if you have not gotten the Nobel Prize in physics. It was because you weren't intelligent enough or you didn't produce the research enough. It's not because any Maldives prevented you from getting it. And everyone on the Nobel Committee on Sweden will tell you the same thing. <laughs> right? None of them are saying that the reason why Janabi Ali, you didn't get the Nobel Prize was because there are too many ulama in your country. They will say because you haven't, put, <laughs> you haven't done anything for which we think we should award you the Nobel Prize. They literally write that. That this country has not held Nobel Prizes because Islam has held back scientific inquiry. Okay, at least your example, <laughs> you are an atheist, it's not held you back at all, right? You are living testimony and nobody has held you back from anything. You know? So this science and Quran thing, you should be fair, you know, don't really, the scientists view themselves as prophets, some of them. And they expect you to believe in what they say. So, asini, right? So this is all I will say then about this issue of, you know, uh, you know, but a person at least should have some humility. One thing is, okay, fine, you want to be an atheist, you don't believe that the moon was split. But you know, on TV programs and publicly to mock uh, the belief of your countrymen, at least show me what good that's doing, right? What hair comes out of it? Uh, you know, it really it shows that a person is, is not sincere. Uh, and insincere people have never been able to benefit others. Okay, so verse number six, what does Allah want to say, right? So I should I should do amal on this as well. Fatawalla on whom we should ignore them and turn away from them. We should not go off on them. We should simply be silent and we should ignore and we should turn away from such people who deny this. Right? Uh fair, but you know. Yom Yad Uddai in a shay in 
Okay, this is the day that uh, leave them and what is going to happen that there will indeed come a day when a da'i, a caller, is going to call out on that day in a shay'in nukur and it, it, it very, a very intense uh, call on that day will be made to something that is intensely unpleasant. Uh, but unpleasant is not strong, gruesome. Okay, that a caller will call them to something that is gruesome on that day. Khushya'an absaruhum And on that day their eyes will be lowered Right? Uh, that will be the day That they will lower their gaze So to speak Their gazes will be lowered Their eyes will be downcast That would be a more proper way uh, English and Their eyes will be downcast and lowered And Hum yakhrujuna minal ajdad And they will emerge from their graves Ka'annahum jarradun Jarradun muntashir like a swarm of locusts, like scattered locusts. So they will just come out in hordes from their graves, like a swarm of locusts scatters out from its home. And what will they be doing? Muhta'ina illa da'i. And they will be running and hastening towards uh, the caller. They will be running and hastening, rushing forth towards the one who had given that call and summons. But what will be their state? Yaqul al-kafiruna hadha yawman asir And the disbelievers will say that this is an extremely difficult, hard day. This is a very difficult and hard day upon us. Alright, so this is Allah subhanahu wa mentioning the mandir of Qiyamah where people will themselves see the truth of what Allah subhanahu wa mentioned. It means simply that if they didn't want to accept the miracle, uh, the truth of the miracle of the Prophet then they will have to accept the truth and reality of Allah subhanahu wa on the Day of Judgment. So indeed the nation and people of Nuh salam disbelieved before them and they falsified and repudiated our servant, our Abd, and he said Nuh salam and they called him Majnoon. They called him Majnoon. Alright. Here Allah is going to from now mentioning the story of Nuh salam, the story of Ad, the story again of the people of Thamud, the story of the people of Lut, and again the story of the people of Fir'aun. So all of this is mostly uh, things that we have done before so we can and there's one uh, verse 17 that is important for us to comment so let me okay then I won't go too fast so verse number 10 that he made to his rub they said oh my rub indeed I'm maglub that they have overpowered me they have overwhelmed me so please uh Fantasir, so come to my aid, assist me. So then we opened up the doors of the sky and sent down torrential downpour of rain. And then we made, the, we caused the earth to flow forth with springs. And then all of the water that was flowing out in springs, all of the water met, it all flowed into a vast pool. All of that was for what? For a matter that was preordained. For a matter that had been preordained and decreed. This is the flood. And we carried Sayyidina Islam on the boat And this is mentioning the craft of A boat craft of planks and nails Or you can say Dusr is a dowel The thing that connects the planks 
and that boat was sailing and traveling and coursing under our literally our eyes means under the gaze of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what was that jaza on liman jaza kufir and this was the sorry the flood was traveling under the gaze of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that was a punishment and a recompense for those who had denied and rejected belief and then indeed we have left this as a sign but is there anyone who will take heed Muddakir who will take heed and take that sign as a lesson and how is how was my punishment and how is my mourning how was my punishment and how was my mourning so warning this is the sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left behind for people so the notion of the sign of the flood of Sayyidina Nuh alayhi salam again the details of the story we have done several times um, but this matter that was preordained with the destruction of his entire community of disbelievers and all of these signs are mentioned here in Quran al-Kareem so that we may also take heed from them we will derive lessons from them and also for disbelievers to take heed from this that this is the Punishment, this is the warning, and this is the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means to those who don't believe. This is literally that, okay, Allah says, indeed, we have made the Quran easy for a zikr. Is there anyone who will do zikr of it? This ayah has several meanings. And they're all, and it also then there's this ayah has many meanings, and there are also many meanings that this ayah does not have. This ayah has many meanings, and there are also many meanings that this ayah does not have. So we need to discuss both of these things. What are the meanings of this ayah, and what are the meanings that do not belong to this ayah? First thing, the zikri, the ulama have said that for tilawa, tilawa. Right? I'm going up in grades. Okay, let me do first and foremost the zikri means to take Nasiha from. That's the primary meaning here. What does it mean? So the basic core advice in Quran is easy to understand, right? The specifics of the incident of Walid that may be difficult to understand. Which star is being referred to in a particular verse that may be difficult to understand, right? Some intricate detail is difficult, but the zikr of the Qur'an, so zikr means its core advice and admonishment, its core teachings, its core hidayah, its core message, that is easy, Allah Ta'ala has made that easy to understand. Let me also explain the word yusr, yasr is easy, doesn't mean easy without effort, right? For example, if you make something, let's say I'll give you several examples. If you make an extremely tasty dish, so it will be easy for the person to eat, but they still have to eat. <laughs> they still have to eat, they still have to use their hands, they still have to chew, they still have to digest, right? So the Quran being, the advice being easy, doesn't mean it's automatic or it's going to come yes sir, doesn't mean automatic or on its own, it means that it's easy to eat. It's easy to imbibe, it's easy to digest, it's easy to heed, it's easy to understand the core advice of Qur'an. Easy when, when you put in the requisite effort, when you put in the requisite effort to do so. Right? It's not automatic on its own. Okay. Second meaning of dhikr means 
to and it's the ultimate of remembering that you remember something so much that you never forget it, and that means tafid or his to memorize Quran al And again, that's a perfect example to say yes sir now. Now how easy it is to memorize? Well, there is no book in they were talking about the Arabic original. And by the way, you will, it's very difficult to be a hafiz of the English translation. That itself will show you the difference between translation and the original, because the barakah is in the original Arabic. Salamullah. It's so easy to memorize it, even children can do it. It's so easy to memorize it, even old people have done it. It's so easy to memorize that the most people in human history who have ever, ever memorized a single text is Quran al But does easy mean it's going to come on its own? No. It takes two, three years to do it. <laughs> and that child or adult in an average time span is two, three years full time. What you call full time. And the corporate definition of full time is 40 hours a week, right? In fact, most kids and his mothers is probably 50 to 60 hours a week. Yes, so two to three years of full time plus overtime. So easy, but easy if you put in the requisite effort. Easy to make that effort if you are sincere. That's the sense of ease. Okay. Third, uh, so these are the two prime meanings, right? Third is also people of senses said tilawa, right? Although it's difficult to link the word tilawa with dhikr in any lexical sense, but the note, but some still use this eye to say that to learn tajweed. To learn tajweed of Qur'an is easy, but again, you have to put in the requisite effort, right? What is not meant by, what are the meanings that are not here? So the number one meaning that is not here is, let's say, to write a tafsir. This verse does not say, and indeed we have made it easy to write a tafsir of the Qur'an. Is there not anyone who would like to write a tafsir, right? You know, you're a Walam Khan. I don't know if he ever finished it or not. When he retired as a president of your country, he said this publicly, so we comment on it publicly. So what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to write a tafsir. Right? So, Allah Akbar. Tafsir is something that somebody does after a lifetime of scholarship in the field, not when somebody retires from another field. Right? They should ask the Mufassir when you're, what are you going to do? I think I'll be president. Right? That may be better. That would work better if we could have the flow that way. So it doesn't mean tafsir. Right? And I know, I know I've spoken about this before, so I won't spoke it, I won't, I will speak about it again. Because this is the ayah that is used. And again, we say we celebrate the sincerity of the men and women who want to love Quran, who want to learn Quran, who want to read Quran, who want to recite Quran, who want to live Quran. The only thing we say, is that don't let that good positive emotion make you misunderstand what it means to teach Qur'an. You can't teach something just on the basis of its sincerity, right? And there are many sincere mu'mineen, right? Now if you look, let's look at before 1900. How many people have written tafsir? It's not thousands, it's hundreds. And you're talking over thousands of years, talking over millennia, you're talking over centuries, 1200, 1300 years, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of ulama, out of which only hundreds, hundreds, wrote tafsir. Right? Because it's a very big task. It's a very big task to comment on Qur'an al-Karim. And it's a very big problem that we have uh, actually in this day and age. Uh, that, uh, you know, the first thing you should be, that the first thing a Muslim should do, should understand and live Qur'an. The very first thing you can do cannot be to 
teach Quran Kareem, right? Uh, and especially, yes, there are some, and that obviously, another way for me to understand, if it was so easy, you wouldn't need the thing, right? You wouldn't need, why did all these ulama, who were scholars of Arabic language, scholars of deen, why do they consult books of tafsir if the Quran is so easy to understand, right? It means that no, there's certain points of the Quran that aren't easy. You have to consult one, two, three, four tafsir sometimes to understand. You need to deliberate. The mufassir has to spend years of his life of deliberation and scholarship to try to articulate a possible understanding of that meaning. So there are some aspects of Quran that are like that. Okay. So that is what this verse does not mean. All right. Verse number 18 uh, You're going to have And if you look at it specifically Because this verse is going to come again right? So specifically what is being mentioned over here uh, Because this verse comes thrice So if you look at the context After the story of Nuh After the story of the people of Ad And after the story of people of Thamud Allah Ta'ala is saying this so what is that? That's why the first meaning is the richest simple advice and admonishment, right? So here the Nasbantal mentions the story of the people of Ad once again. So So indeed the people of Ad they also disbelieved, they rejected and falsified the warning that came to them. So Allah says again that how was my punishment? How was my warning? In Rihan Sarasaran that we sent a furious wind, a furious gale force wind against them on a day in which there was long disaster. Mustamir is istimrar, there was a perpetual, perpetuating, long standing, enduring disaster. Tanzil Nas, and it snatched the people and uprooted them. As if they were uprooted uh, date palm trees. And how was my punishment? How was my warning? That indeed we have made the Quran easy to take heed and advice from. Is there uh, anyone who will take such a lesson? Right? So again, now this ayah is being mentioned about so simply, it's about the disbelief and odd and the punishment and the warning. Then again, verse 33, and indeed the community of Thamud they also rejected what did they reject and deny they denied and rejected the warning Fakaldu they said that Abashanam minna wahidan nattabi'uhu so should we follow a lone individual human being from amongst us inna idan lafi dalalim and indeed if we would do so we would surely be in dalal we would be in error and we would be in su'ul we would be insane we would be in an error and astray and we would be mad and insane to do so. <coughs> so then uh, Allah SWT says that has a revelation been sent down they, they, they said that has a ulkiya zikru alayhi mimbainina bal huwa kazabun ashir they said that it has a zikr means a revelation have been sent down to them such that he is Amongst us all, they said, Baal, they said, no, he is a kadab, he is a 
big liar and he is an arrogant liar. Right? This is what they said about their Prophet. So what did Allah subhanahu wa say to them? That they will certainly themselves learn tomorrow who is it that is the arrogant uh, liar. Inna Inna and then it be sent the she camel to them, fitnatan as a test as a test for them. Fitnatan lahum as a test for them, Fartakibhum Mustabir. So you should watch them and you should be patient. And Wanabihum Annal Ma'a Kismatun Bainahum Kullu Shirbin Muhtadar that the water will be shared between them and each one should present themselves for their share of uh, water to drink. But what do they do? Fanado Sahibahum Fata'ata Fa'akal so they called for their companion and that companion then took the, and attacked that camel and cut her, uh, cut the camel by her hamstring. Nantha says, how was my punishment and how was my warning? Inna arsana alayhim sayha. Then Allah says, we sent to them a blast and a shriek wahidatan, a single blast. Fakanu kahashimil muhtadir. And they became just like the crushed leaves of a hedge builder, right? Uh, just like the crushed leaves of a hedge builder. How do you translate this? Crushed leaves of a hedge builder, alright? Same thing, So indeed we have made the Quran easy to take heed from. Is there anyone who will take heed and lesson from it? Alright, so the Thamud lived after the Ad, this is the same thing Allah said to the Salih Nabi to them. However, they were prideful and they accused him of being a false Nabi. Then Allah Ta'ala quotes the words of Salih Salih, this camel has been sent as a sign towards you. But the Thamud, uh, you know, what happened was uh, this notion of drinking. So this camel was a very large camel. And the Thamud had their own animals and they only had one well. So Sayyidina Salih told them that, look, this is the camel, it will have a day to drink and your animals will have an appointed day to drink. Uh, and this is what Sayyidina Salih said, watch them, be patient and inform them that the water should be shared between them and each should present themselves on his turn. But the Thamud, they did not want the camel to share the water with their own animals and therefore decide to kill it, even though Sayyidina had told them that there would be a terrible punishment inflicted on them if they killed it. But they called their companion, Allah knows best who that companion was, one of them, or maybe some companion from some other place, and Allah Ta'ala sent this punishment on them. Alright? Next is Qadabat Koma Lutin bin Nudur, same thing that the people of Sayyidina Lut alayhi salam, they also denied all of the warnings, and you can hear Ibn Sayyidina Nudur as the warners who were sent to them, and here Allah Ta'ala sends again, we sent on a gale wind with a hail of stones against them, against all of them except for the family of Lut, whom we rescued and spared in the close of the night, in the bisahar, in the early morning, early dawn hours, at the end of the night, and all this was ni'matam and indana, this was a blessing and a favor from us. Kadalika nadzi man shakar and thus to Allah Ta'ala says and thus to be reward those who are thankful and grateful and Sayyidina wa lakad andar hum and certainly Sayyidina Lut Islam did indeed warn them but shatana of our punishment that would seize them but fatamarau bin nudur but they kept disputing and denying and wrangling over the warnings 
then walakad ravduhu an zayfihi and then they attempted to seduce his guests this is what we've mentioned that the angels had come in the guise of young uh, men and Sayyidina Lut Islam's community even tried to seduce for sin the angels who had come in the guise of young men so then what did Allah SWT say he did as a punishment for that Allah says, and we stamped out their eyes, we put out their eyes, we obliterated their eyes. Fazuku azabi and therefore you should taste my punishment and my warning. So this is that rare instance, right, uh, in history when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has actually given nakt saza, or Allah has punished someone the second they misuse their eye. But this is also a, a verse that we should remember, verse number thirty-seven, because in a sense. If you want, you can say Zayfihi is the guest, but be really that every uh, man and woman on earth is the uh, creature and mortal of Allah SWT. So although this doesn't happen, but one should remember that once in history it did happen, that some people misdirected their gaze and Allah Taala obliterated their eyes. They looked at someone with a lustful, unlawful lustful gaze and Allah Taala meted out their eyes. So we should be scared and think that it's only Allah's mercy that He hasn't done that to us uh, and that we should also try to lower and control our gaze. This eye also establishes that yes, even the lustful gaze is is worthy of punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, because this is the punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned. وَلَقَدْ سَبَّحَهُمْ And then وَلَقَدْ سَبَّهُمْ بُكْرَةً أَذَابٌ مُسْتَقِرٌ And then indeed morning dawned upon them early in the morning in intense uh, and lasting mustakir, lasting everlasting torment and agony فَذُوكُ أَذَابٍ وَالنُّذُرٌ And therefore taste my punishment and taste my warnings And then again Allah says وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِذِكْرِ فَحَلْ مِمْ مُدَّكِرٌ That indeed we have made the Qur'an easy to take a lesson from Is there anyone who will heed it, who will take a lesson from it? Alright, so this ayah had been repeated three times And again, you have the story of the Ad, the story of the Mood Oh, four times, story of Nuh, Sam, Ad, Samud, and Lut. So it's for these stories that Allah has repeated this ayah. So clearly it's not talking about scholastic tafsir, it's talking about the basic advice and admonishment and warning and portent of punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those who don't believe in Him or obey Him or heed His warnings or fear His punishment. Okay, otherwise the story of all these four Anbiya we did earlier in detail. Verse 41, then fifth story, النُّذُرْ And then indeed warnings also definitely came to the people of Fir'aun. But what happened? But they denied each and every one of our signs. So Allah Ta'ala says, and then we punish them with a mighty punishment, and one that was muqtadir, that was to prevail. A mighty and prevailing punishment. And then, and then uh, they were addressed, that are your disbelievers, uh, among other disbelievers, your disbelievers mean the ones who are among you better than they, or... Do they have immunity? Have they been granted bara'a, immunity and sanctity? And they have been granted some leave from punishment? Fizubur in the scriptures. Alright. 
So here Allah subhanahu wa is actually addressing the mushrikeen of Makkah Mukarramah after mentioning all the different sets of people who disbelieved in a Prophet that are you people any better than the previous disbelievers in Prophet or is there any scripture that you have which has absolved you from punishment has protected you from punishment has granted you immunity from punishment has allowed you to keep rejecting Islam or verse 44 Am yakuluna nahnu jami'un muntasir or do they say and do they make this claim that we are uh, we are a jami'um muntasir that we are going to be triumphant we are a group who is going to be victorious uh, or you can say we are a group that is well defended uh, so this is referring to what? this is referring to the battle of Badr so 45 Allah sponsor says yuhzamul jam'u and that indeed Allah says this band, this large band that they are happy of being will be vanquished and will be vanquished and defeated the whole lot will be routed and then they will turn on their backs and no indeed it is the Qiyamah which is the real promised appointment Qiyamah is the end of the end of time is what is promised to them and the final hour will be even more Adha wa Amar will be more traumatic and more bitter, will be more intense and more bitter for them than the defeat that they suffered in uh, the battle of Badr. So, as all of you know, in the battle of Badr, the Mushrikeen had a large number, right? And they were so confident in their large numbers that they would be victorious. They boasted about their numbers and also Jami' is also a sense of Jama about their unity. And they felt that they were a well-disciplined unity uh, force. Uh, but here the Allah subhanahu made it clear that no, Allah subhanahu is going to send his mother Nashat. And as you know, the 313 Badri Sahaba were able to defeat uh, the thousands uh, of the disbelievers. 17 Mushrikeen were killed, 17 were taken prisoner. But then here Allah Ta'ala mentions the intensity of the Day of Judgment that it is the most severe, the most bitter, the most intense إِنَّ الْمُجْرِمِينَ فِي ذَلَالِهِ وَالصُّعُرِ And indeed the, uh, the mujrimin, literally the sinners, the criminals, the wrongdoers they're in a clear and manifest misguidance and deviation وَالصُّعُرِ And they will be in blazing fires Su'ur is plural of Sa'ir So they will be in blazing fires, multiple fires And Yoma. And this is the day that they will be dragged into the fire of Jahannam on their faces. And then Allah Ta'ala said that you should taste the touch of Sakar. You should taste the touch of the flame or the touch of the flame and the fire of Jahannam. So this is again a very intense passage of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala mentioning this fire. Some ulama said, but the fire of Jahannam is infinitely more uh, heat and more thermal energy and more burning and so the day of judgment will be a much bigger punishment for the unbelievers than their defeat on the day of the battle of Badr verse is number 449 and indeed we have certainly created each and everything in measure and by degree وَمَا and Allah says, but our command is but one and is single. Allah's command and decree is but a single order, like the blink of an eye. 
And what is that? This is the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment. وَلَكَرْ أَخْلَقْنَا أَشْيَاءَكُمْ That Allah Ta'ala says, أَشْيَاءَكُمْ فَخَلْ مِمْ مُدَّكِرٍ Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, we have destroyed many factions, many parties, many nations. فَخَلْ مِمْ مُدَّكِرٍ Is there anyone who will take heed of this punishment of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala? وَكُلُّ شَيْءٍ فَأَلُوهُ فِي الزُّبُرِ And every single thing that they have did was recorded in the scriptures. وَكُلُّ صَغِيرٍ وَكَبِيرٍ مُسْتَطَرٍ Every minor deed and every major and minor every minor deed and major matter has been written down and preserved in lines. إِنَّ الْمُتَّكِينَ فِي جَنَّاتٍ وَالنَّهَرٍ And indeed the people of taqwa who feel that their conscience will be in gardens with streams. فِي مَقْعَدِ السِّنْكِنْ in the Malikim Muqtadir and they will be sitting in the seat of truth Maqadisid in a seat in a place of truth and they will be in the presence of the omnipotent powerful sovereign. They will be granted the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So every single thing that a person will do, first of all, whenever Allah Ta'ala wants to command something, it's just the blink of the eye. What does that mean, number one? It can be his punishment that whenever he wants to wipe a person out, he can wipe them out in the blink of his eye. It also refers to what we did earlier, when he ever wants to make something happen, he says to it simply, kun fayakun, that be and it will become. Uh, and lastly, it can also mean that Allah Ta'ala's ultimate command is the ultimate but one of his ultimate cans is that he will make this day the world and the day of judgment so he will bring the day of judgment come about as quickly as just a blink of an eye and, and then what will happen is that after that day then they will find every single thing that they did and all their atmal recorded in the books every minor deed every major deed every single thing will be there but the people of taqwa being a maq on the sidq is a place of truth truthfulness that their words will be true, their deeds were true, their beliefs were true. So on Akhir they will be given a place of truth, but that will be by the omnipotent, powerful sovereign. They will be near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this has been understood that they will have a high and lofty place in Jannah, that the muttaqeen will be right next to the kursi and arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So Surah Rahman and Surah Waqiyah we had done yesterday so now we move to surah al-hadith surah al-hadith this means uh, literally al-hadith is iron and this surah is madni and uh, by madni by the way uh, you should know that makki and madni don't necessarily refer to the places where the verses were revealed makki means pre-hijra and madni means post-hijra even if there's something post-Fatimaka in the Istilaab, the Mufassirun, they still call it Madni. So, for example, one surah here, verse number 10, is actually a verse that was revealed after uh, the Prophet after Fatimaka, right? After Fatimaka. Right. Here, uh, this surah is going to talk about spending, charity, and it's also going to address a particular belief of the Christians uh, which is something I think that is new is going to be new for us in Quran al-Karim A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Sambaha Lillahi Ma Fis Samawati Wal Ard Wa Huwa Al-Aziz Al-Hakim 
that every single thing in the heavens and the earth, the, the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He is Al-Aziz Al-Hakim. He is Almighty and All-Wise. The who mulk of samawati wal ard. And to Him exclusively belongs the absolute dominion and sovereignty over those heavens and the earth. Yuhi wa yumid. And He brings to life and He brings to death. He brings to life and He causes to die. And He has absolute power over each and every single thing. That He is the first and the last. And Allah is the, um, the apparent uh, and the inner. Allah subhanahu wa is the outward and the inward, or Allah subhanahu wa is the apparent and the hidden, I'll explain that in a moment, and Allah subhanahu wa has knowledge over each and every single thing, Allah is that being who created the heavens and the earth in seven time intervals, and then he settled himself to the affairs of the throne, فِالْأَرْضِ وَمَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهَا وَمَا يَنْزُلُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَمَا يَعْرُجُ فِيهَا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows whatever it is that enters the earth and what emerges from the, what enters and goes into the earth, what emerges and comes out from the earth, what is it that descends from the sky and what is rises up to it. وَهُوَ مَعَكُمْ أَيْنَ مَا كُنْتُمْ And Allah Ta'ala is with you wherever you are. وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَسِيرٌ And Allah Ta'ala sees whatever it is that you do. لَهُ مُلْكُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And again to Allah Ta'ala alone belongs the exclusive and complete dominion and kingdom and sovereignty over the heavens and the earth. وَإِلَاللَّهِ تُرْجَعُ الْأُمُورِ And all matters and affairs depend on Allah Ta'ala return all matters and affairs will return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in complete dependence. Yulajullah fin Nahari and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enters the night into the day when uh Wayulajun Nahar Nahara Filayal and he enters the day into the night and Allah subhanahu wa knows each and everything that is in the heart. Allah subhanahu has full knowledge of all of the secrets in the heart. Okay? So verses 1 to 6 have historically been a beautiful uh, recitation of Qur'an al-Kareem uh, and sometimes people even memorize just these first few ayahs, ayahs 1 to 6 and use it in their salawat and you should try, you know, especially in this Ramadan maybe maybe you can just do this one or anyone but those of us who maybe only know some small surahs in the 30th juz you should try a few ayahs from selected places even 2-2 two, two ayahs, 3-3 three, three ayahs three ayahs, you should try to memorize short three ayah passages from other places in Qur'an so that you get a feel, uh, you have a sense and a touch and identification and a feel for certain something other than uh, just the surahs in the 30th juz and then you should make use of them in your salah, in your sunnahs, in your nafal, in your fard and when you make use of them in your prayer then you will inshallah start feeling them more and you will memorize them more and certainly even if you're praying nafal salah you can recite it out loud in, in any nafal salah if you want to practice your uh, memorization and pronunciation because that which you say what you articulate louder will be retained in your memory alright here so these opening verses Allah subhanahu wa has mentioned uh, several of his qualities ok some of them we've done before let's start with verse number 3 who will awwal Allah subhanahu is the first 
Awwal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Awwal, is the absolute first, which means that nothing precedes him. This is what we call his Ghair Masbuk. Nothing has subcut over him. Nothing precedes him. He is the first, capital F first, the first and foremost. Well, Akhir, that means he is the last. Now, when you say, now, Allah being the first, we understand. Right, being the last, given that humans will also live for eternity, so there is no end. And Al-Awwal is also a bit confusing to people because there is no beginning, right? So Allah Ta'ala being Al-Awwal does not denote a beginning, right? In fact, that which is that which is without beginning is the most worthy thing to be called the capital F first. It is first in of itself, first, Allah Ta'ala is first in of himself, first without having been made first, I don't know if you're understanding what I'm trying to explain in English, right? In that sense, Allah Ta'ala is Al-Awwal. Al-Akhir means that, yes, okay, fine, human beings may live forever, Jannat will be there forever. So, in a sense, there is nothing that ends. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is only that being who, fi zatihi, fi nafsihi, in of himself has no end. We are always, even when we, even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants human beings eternity and Akhirah, we still have the Ahtamal of end We are still people of ending But Allah has suspended that We are people, we are ultimately mortal Allah suspends and holds In stay or mortality for infinity But Allah himself is intrinsically Al-Hayyul Qayyum He is all living, ever living Self-sustaining, self-subsisting He is inherently immortal So that just like that that which has no beginning ultimately is worthy to be called the first capital F just like that that being which has no end intrinsically has no end is ultimately worthy of being called the last as in capital L last well Zahir means that Allah Sponsor has an aspect to himself that is Zahir that is not physical like our, we have a Zahir is our physical and our Batin is our Ruh no it, because Allah doesn't have physicality Zahir means his outward apparent self, his engagement. So the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Quran, the kalam of Allah subhanahu is part of his zahir, is part of that which he has chosen to manifest and reveal and make apparent. Right? And many of his mercies that we see on this earth, then there will be the mercy that he sends down on the Day of Judgment. Then they will be whatever it is that we gaze upon when we engage in the vision of Allah Subhanahu all of that is his zahir. And al-batin means his own inner self, which is not made apparent to insan, which has not been manifested to insan, which is known only and only to him. That is, you can say, to Allah Ta'ala as he is known only to himself. Allah Ta'ala as He is known to us is how He has revealed Himself to be in Quran and as how He wishes to be known. Then there's Allah Ta'ala as He Himself alone knows Himself to be and as He Himself exists, His own wujud, His own zat, that is being referred to as Al-Batan. Then, Alim is something that also we have done before. So verse 4, uh, yes, verse 4. Uh, this is another very, very famous ayah of Quran al-Kareem. And this is the ayah where Allah Ta'ala is mentioning his ma'iyya, his companionship to us. But does it mean that Allah Ta'ala is with you, he is your companion, companion to you, wherever it is that you go, wherever you might be. Everywhere you are, Allah Ta'ala is with you. 
there is no place you can go that you put yourself out of the reach of his ma'iyah. That is the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This means that Allah Ta'ala is with you wherever you are physically. He is with you in whatever hal you are in. He is with you when you sin. He is with you when you are pious. He is with you when you are doing ibadah. He is with you when you are doing masiyah. He is with you in the home, with you in the office, with you in the university, with you in the with family, with you when you are alone. In every single state He is with you. But the zahir of His mayat may change. So when you sin, He may send His... Uh, he may be with you as a tawab who is waiting for you to make tawbah. When you pray, he may be with you as al-alim who is hearing what is in your heartfelt prayers and your du'as. So Allah Ta'ala is with you in multiple different ways, but at every single time. So this is the notion that Allah Ta'ala is not an absent Lord. He is not a distant Rabb, but Allah Ta'ala is intimately present and our companion. And Allah Ta'ala uses this word also, ma'iyyah, ma'a, so that a person would feel that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is with them. You would see, for example, many times we give this example, if you were to take the Dewu from Lahore to Islamabad, well, one way is to make that journey alone, and the other is to make it with a companion, and that person who travels with the companion, just the mere presence of the companion, just the company of the companion, just the fact of having a companion, makes that journey different altogether. So here Allah Ta'ala is saying that you have come on this earth, and you're journeying in the life of this world towards the Akhirah, but you're not alone in that journey, Allah Allah himself is our companion on that journey. Huwa ma'akum eina ma'akuntum. Alright. Verse number, verses number 7 to 11. So after saying all of this, then what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Aminu billahi wa rasulihi. And you should believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in his messenger Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَانْفِقُ مِمَّا جَعَلَكُمْ مُسْتَخْلَفِينَ فِي And you should spend from the wealth and you should spend from the wealth uh, of what we have made you inheritors to. فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَانْفَقُوا لَهُمْ أَجْرٌ كَبِيرٌ And those of you who have iman and those of you who spend then for them they will be an ajrun kabir they will be a tremendous reward. وَمَا لَكُمْ لَا تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ That why is it that you don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَالرَّسُولُ يَدْعُوكُمْ لِتُؤْمِنُوا بِرَبِّكُمْ And Nabi Kareem s.a.w. is inviting you that you should believe in your Rabb وَقَدْ أَخَذَ مِثَاقَكُمْ And indeed Allah Ta'ala has taken a pledge from you إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ If indeed it, you want to be believers هُوَ الَّذِي يُنَزِّلُ عَلَىٰ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ آيَةٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ آيَاتٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ And Allah Ta'ala is that being who sent down on His servant and slave clear and clarifying verses of revelation and clear and clarifying signs لَيُخْرَجَكُمْ مِنَ ظُلَمَاتِ إِلَى النُورِ So that He may take you out from the, all of the darknesses إِلَى النُورِ To the نُور وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُمْ لَرَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ And indeed Allah Subhanahu is all kind and all merciful with you. So this is a beautiful call to humanity that Allah Subhanahu is doing. But the first thing in verse 7, Iman and Infaq means Iman and spending. Allah Ta'ala has linked this 
believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and and spend. So one aspect of a person's iman is that they spend in charity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they believe in that unseen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They believe that whatever Allah whatever they have has been given to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore they wish to spend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen and the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the propagation of the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then and then here and then Allah mentions a tremendous reward. But verse number eight, billah. This is a very this is Allah Ta'ala is not saying this in Zajr. This is not a tense tone. This is Allah Ta'ala saying in a very soft, loving, kind, invitational tone that Aku kya ho gya kya apne rab per, apne Allah per iman na or hal ye ke ke aapke nabi akram sam aapko isi rab ke iman par daawat de rahe right this is what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that why is it that you have not wanted to believe and this pledge that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning in mithaq so that mithaq is something that we did earlier if you remember surah al-araf surah 7 verses 172 to 174 allah ta'ala mentions the mithaq the pledge he took from all of humanity when he gathered all of the arwah all of the human souls and asked them a question alastu bi rabbikum then am i not your rabb qalu bala that each and every one of the souls said yes allah ta'ala we affirm that you are our rabb so that is the mithaq that allah ta'ala is addressing humanity on earth that when you were humanity in my presence all of you already made this pledge to me allah subhanahu ta'ala that i I am your Rabb. So why is it that you are not true to that pledge that I've already taken from you? If in kuntum mu'mineen, if indeed you were truly believers when you made that pledge in that realm, and if truly you want to believers in, to be believers in this realm, then Allah Taala makes it clear that these ayat bayinat, these clear and clarifying verses. What's the benefit of this Qur'an al-Kareem? It takes a person out from zulumat to nur. It takes them out from all of the different darknesses they're in, the darkness of sin, the darkness of ignorance, the darkness of depression, the darkness of shirk, the darkness of atheism, all of that, the darkness of immodesty, the darkness of immorality, nur into that single nur. That is the nur of deen, the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the nur of ita'at, the nur of ilm. All of that, they can come into that nur. And then, وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُمْ لَرَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ That indeed Allah ta'ala is with you, O humanity. I mean, this is the softest way Allah ta'ala is addressing. Right? Remember, this is a madni. This is later on. This is not the earliest way to get the kufar makamakarma. This is a later revelation. Allah Ta'ala, even after all of their spite and malice and hatred and enmity and aggression, Allah Ta'ala still calling out to them in this way and saying, لَرَعُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ That Allah Ta'ala is infinitely kind and compassionate and He's all merciful. وَمَا لَكُمْ Okay, Ramadakum Latun Fikufi Sabilahi Walillahi Miratu Samawatabal Ard that why is it that you are not spending in the path of Allah Spantala, even though yes to Allah Spantala belongs uh, the inheritance of the heavens and the earth belongs to Allah Spantala alone, so Allah Ta'ala isn't personally needed, but you need to spend it for the sake of the deen on this earth. 
who spent and fought for the sake of deen before from their a'adhamu darajah, they are far, far greater. You can just imagine azim and a'adham. A'adhamu darajah, they are far greater in darajah. Min alladhina anfaku min ba'du. That waqatilu. Then those who spent or fought after Fatimakka. But to each and every one, and to all, to one and all, Allah Subhanahu has promised al-husna, the virtuous reward. Wallahu bima, wallahu khabir. And Allah Taala is informed about each and every single thing that you do. So this ayah shows the fazilat of the muhajirun sahaba and those sahaba who were also ansar and those sahaba who were on deen before Fatimaka, as opposed to those sahaba who, um, it could even mean uh, the disbelievers who converted to Islam after Fatimaka, and it can be also those who began to spend or participated in Ghazawat uh, after Fatimaka. Right? Um, and you know, the, what is the reason? I mean, the reason is that because after Fatimaka, the pivotal point is that after Fatimaka, it's clear that Islam has triumphed. So now anybody who spends or fights on the path of the deen is clearly joining the winning side. And that's an easier thing to do. But before Fatih Makkah, that was not clear at all that Islam would be ghalib or be victorious. So the people who were willing to spend their money or fight with their lives for the sake of deen of Islam, they had no idea whether this would be the triumphant power. right? And certainly uh, there is a big difference between those two things. But then... Allah Ta'ala makes it clear that even if the first group is A'zamu Darja is far, far greater and tremendous in status than the other one, still Allah Ta'ala is saying, but He has promised husna for all, He has promised good for all mu'mineen, all sahaba ikram in the original, you know, and this is also very important ayah because, uh, I'll just read it to you again. Now let me translate, open up, in each and every single Sahaba, Allah Ta'ala has promised them the best reward. So this ayah makes it clear that every single Sahaba is a Jannati. And any sect that thinks otherwise is going against Qur'an al-Karim. And yes, there may be darajat between them. There may be some that are more than others. There are some that are a'zamu, are tremendously more of rank. But every single one will go into Jannah. So that is also mentioned here for all of the Sahaba. Alright? And he is pleased with each and every single one. For us, we should think that the same thing is going to be true. And listen to what I'm about to say very carefully. The lesson for us is that us, we will also have a time in our life which is called Al-Fat. What does that mean? Al-Fatah, when deen will become a ghalib in our life. When it's easy for us to practice deen. It's comfortable for us to practice deen. It's acceptable for us to practice deen. If we wait for that time to come, and then after that, we are on deen, whether it's in terms of our salah, our ibadah, our charity, then yes, we will get sawab for that, but that is less. As opposed to if before we get that victory, even individual victory or family acceptance 
or societal acceptance or victory over our nafs, right? What is it after a person does fatah over their nafs, then they engage in ibadah. What is before they do fatah over their nafs? So they're fighting a battle, they don't know if they will win it, but if they fight that battle, then they will have a'lamu daraja, they will have a greater rank. Before everybody accepts them, they still choose to follow deen, they will have a greater rank. Before that social acceptance, before that family acceptance, as opposed to postponing and postponing, okay, when this happens, when that happens, okay, you know, once I make partner, then I'll let them see that I pray, before that I won't, right? Or before this, or whatever it might be. So if you wait for that, uh, then yes, eventually if a person, and, and nobody knows, by the way, when you postpone, will you ever be able to do it? Who knows, we'll even live long enough, right? But if a person, yes, is successful, Allah Ta'ala grants them success, that they wait, they delay, they postpone, and finally they come on Amal, Everybody will get the reward, but the greater reward is for those who come steadfast on deen before their personal fat in their life. A'adhamu daraja, they will have a incredibly, a much, much more tremendous daraja. Then verse number 11. Man dalladhi, is that right? Yeah, verse number 11. Wallahi ubudahu bimata khabir, and Allah Ta'ala is extremely informed and aware about everything you do. He knows what you do. He knows how passionately you do it. He knows how lax you do it. He knows the intention behind when you do it. He knows whether you do it irrespective of anything. You'll do anything in the world for His pleasure. Or He knows that you'll only do it if His pleasure can also be met and combined with your worldly ease. He knows everything. He knows all and He will reward accordingly. So again we have the notion of darajat. Darajat in the law, levels of people in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse number 11, That who is that person who will lend to Allah subhanahu wa a hasana, a beautiful, virtuous loan? فَيُضَاعِفَهُ لَهُ وَلَهُ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ So that Allah Ta'ala may multiply. يُضَاعِفُ can mean double, but it can also mean not just doubling, but that Allah Ta'ala may multiply it for him, multiply that loan for him or her, manifold. وَلَهُ أَجْرٌ لَهُ And he may give that, لَهُ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ And to Allah Ta'ala belongs the most bounteous, the most generous, the most gracious reward. And Kareem also the most generous, the most gracious and the most generous reward. Alright. This is that famous ayah of Karzi Hasana and this giving this loan to Allah SWT. Alright. Now obviously, uh, whenever a person spends their wealth, I mean this is not normally uh, in Pakistan, what people in Pakistan call Karzi Hasana is not what's being mentioned over here. Let me explain. <laughs> but this ayah is talking about sadaqah. But this I is saying that when you donate in charity, not when you give an interest-free loan to take back, when you donate money in charity, when you give it out of your milkiyat and transfer it to the milkiyat of whatever the waqf is or the person is, when you donate in charity, then actually that sadaqah becomes a loan with Allah SWT, means an investment in this sense. God literally didn't mean loan in the... In that sense, it's an investment that Allah Ta'ala will multiply the reward for many-fold in His court, in His presence, and to Him lies the Ajr Kareem. He has the most gracious and generous reward, and He can multiply it even 700 times. So that is what it means. People have taken it now to mean that Karde Hasana means that, okay, I give somebody an interest-free loan, right? But that's still my money, it's still my milkiyat, and I expect it back, 
That's not actually what this verse is saying. That's also something in Deen, but that's not what's being mentioned here in this verse. The loan to Allah's fault means that you give charity and He will repay you for that loan with His ajr on the Day of Judgment. Right? That is the notion of uh, what is being mentioned over here. Verse number 12. Alright, now verses number 12 to 15. Surah Al-Hadid is a very nice uh, surah, you know, something that I was actually originally thinking of trying to do it with Surah Al-Man Al-Waqiyah. But, you know, all the, all the surahs are very nice, obviously, and they all have very important uh, meanings and messages for us. Uh, but some surahs were able to maybe comment more in terms of contemporary lessons and some surahs may contain more repetition of previous stories of previous prophets which uh, you know once we comment on that once we go over it quickly and when we go over it quickly because of us going over it quickly some of you get bored not because it's Allah Ta'ala's ground but because we went over it quickly but because this is new so we're not going over it quickly so you don't get bored so this is that day of judgment then you will see tara you will see mu'mineen and mu'minat you will see believing men and believing women and what will you see? You will see them that they yes that their nur is streaming in front of them, that their light is streaming before them, and is streaming from their right hand on their right hand side. And then it will be called them Bushrakum that in glad good good news and glad tidings Al Yoma for you today, Jannatu Tajrim and Tahtihal Anhar, that you will have gardens underneath with streams flowing below and Khaladina Fiha and you will abide therein forever. And indeed this is the greatest supreme success. So this is that the Mu'mineen and Mu'minat and here Allah Ta'ala has again singled it out Mu'mineen and Mu'minat so a person feels this uh, as opposed to uh, what is coming next the Munafiqeen and Munafiqat that the Mu'mineen will have this nur. Everyone depending on whether the Mu'min or Munafiq or Kafir they will have either a nur on that day or they will have a zulm, a darkness and an oppression on that day. Now because the Mu'mineen will be proceeding ahead with the aid of their nur and they will have it on the right side. So what's going to happen? The Munafiqeen will be far behind. They will get left back because they're not able to travel. They won't be able to walk in whatever procession Allah Ta'ala is going to make us walk on the Day of Judgment. They don't have the help of that nur. So they will be hanging back. And so then what is going to happen? So when they start hanging back, what will those Munafiqoon and Munafiqat say? يَوْمَ يَقُولُ الْمُنَافِقُونَ وَالْمُنَافِقَاتِ And this will be the day when the hypocritical men and the hypocritical women, what will they say? لِلَّذِينَ They will say لِلَّذِينَ amanu To those who believe أُنْذُرُوا أُنْذُرُوا نَا نَكْتَبِسْ مِنْ نُورِكُمْ They will say that, oh wait for us so that we may take some light from your light. We want to take some light from your light. So that it will be said to them, uh, it will be said to them that return, turn back, turn back behind where you came from, means where you came from, turn back behind you, and you should seek light from there. Means you have to go back to the earth, right? And the light was 
because of the a'mal and iman that the people did in their worldly life and you have left that so what are they going to find they can't go back and then uh, a wall will be put between them a wall will be set up between them and in that there will be lahubab. there will be a door in that wall between the mu'mineen and mu'minat on the one hand and the munafikun and the uh, munafikun and munafikat on the other hand and then inside batinuhu fihi rahmah Inside that wall will be a mercy. That's where the believers will be. وَظَاهِرُهُ Which means the out external to it. مِنْ قِبْلِهِ الْأَذَابِ Will be from the... Um, right, right outside of it will be the agony and punishment from Allah SWT. So then when that happens, يُنَادُونَهُمْ And then so يُنَادُونَهُمْ means and then the hypocrites will call out to the believers and what will they say? أَلَمْ نَكُمْ مَعَكُمْ That were we not with you? Didn't we sit with you? Didn't we hang out with you? Didn't we live with you? Right? قَالُوا So the believers will respond بَلَا Assuredly, yes وَلَكِنَّكُمْ فَتَنْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ But however, you seduced or trapped or deluded your own selves وَتَرَبَّسْتُمْ وَرْتَبْتُمْ And you... Uh, you used to wait, used to wait, meaning you were waiting and watching, and you doubted, you doubted, you chose to be a skeptic, and then your amani means your hopes and wishes, your hopes for the future, deceived you, deceived you, until such a time that the order of Allah arrived, وَغَرَّكُمْ بِاللَّهِ الْغُرُورِ And then the deceiver deceived you about Allah Taala. So, فَالْيَوْمَ لَا يُؤْخُذَ مِنْكُمْ So today, no ransom will be accepted from you. It means you cannot get yourself out of this punishment in any way. There is nothing you have to offer that can get you out of this punishment. وَلَا مِنْ لَذِينَ كَفَرُوا Neither from you, hypocrites, nor from الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا From the other category, the people who disbelieve. مَأْوَاكُمْ And therefore the مَأْوَاكُمْ النَّارِ And the abode and residence for both of you, munafiq and unbeliever, is النَّارِ Is the fire of Jahannam. And indeed, that fire will be made your master. It will be your master. And it is the most terrible, evil place to return to. The evil, a miserable destination. Alright. So this was a long passage about the munafikun calling out to the mu'minun. So first the Hebrews will say that weren't we with you? What does that mean? So in the original time of the Sahaba, it refers to those munafikeen of Medina Manorah who used to spend time with the Sahaba Kram, used to intermingle with the Sahaba Kram, right? Even though they weren't... Uh, so the moment we respond to them, that no, but you know, you thought Islam was short-lived, you were just waiting, you were with us, but you were waiting for it to end. You were with us, but you had doubts about its reality. You didn't have yakin in your iman. You never really became fully sincere Muslims until Allah's command arrived, means until death overcame you, until you died of the Amr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then when you die, it is too late. When the deceiver here, that the deceiver put you in granted, that is shaitan. And it's Iblis who led you astray by deceiving you about truth and falsehood. And then nothing will be accepted from the munafikun. Alright, now, uh, similarly, 
you know, for us, you know, this, the Munafikun are not just a category of people who were at, living at the time of Medina Manora, but Munafikun can also be any one of us. And what does that mean? That if we don't truly believe, we're not truly following the of Islam, we don't truly practice the of Islam, sometimes we're a person of taqwa, sometimes we're a person of sin, sometimes we pray, sometimes we skip, sometimes we obey, sometimes we disobey. So we should be scared for, there's one type of nifaq in unbelievers, and there's another type of nifaq that takes place in mu'mini. And we would never want that we said the same thing, that we end up being the munafikin from the mu'mineen, and then we call out to the mukhlisin mu'mineen that we were with you. Don't, weren't we one of you? Didn't we used to sit with you? Didn't we attend the same gatherings as you? Didn't we stand, go on the same tawaf as you? Weren't we in the same hajj group as you? Right? But they say, but no, but you, you, you weren't true. You weren't true to the deen. You wavered and you doubted and you waited and you were skeptical and you were sometimes on, you were sometimes off, right? So that, although that's not the original uh, recipient of this revelation, well, obviously the Sahaba, but its universal import of the ayah, which I've told you many times, every ayah has that universal lesson. That is what is being that is what is being said, all right? And then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's mercy on the inside and punishment on the outside. Uh, right, so that means that this is the beginning on the day of judgment that Allah Ta'ala will separate out the believers from those who weren't true believers. He will put walls between them, uh, between the believers and the munafik and for the disbelievers. There are many other things that have been mentioned in our deen as a light for us. Uh, it's coming, well, it's going to come later on through 66, verse 8. Actually, it will be a dua that uh, the believers will make. And that is that may Allah Ta'ala increase our nur for us. Um, might as well recite it to you very quickly. Surah 66, Surah Tahrim, verse number 8. Uh, so the believers on that day of judgment, you see, they will have that nur. Uh, again, so that's the same words that we had here that the nur will be streaming forth in front of and on the right side. That Allah SWT complete and perfect our nur for us. And Allah Ta'ala forgive us. Indeed Allah Ta'ala you are powerful over all things. So the mu'mineen will be wanting to get completion of that nur and while they're in this procession they will again be making dua to Allah Ta'ala to forgive them because I mean the hisab has yet to come. There are other things that will also be a nur for a person on that day. And maybe I'll just talk about a few of those things and uh, then we'll do uh, just two more ayahs of this and then we'll stop over here for today. So what are some other things that will be newer? So in one hadith in Islam said that whenever whatever limbs and organs of a person that they made wudu on, so because of making their wudu, uh, their faces, hands, or arms up to elbows, their feet, etc. will be shining, will be newer on that day of judgment. Another thing that is mentioned that will be a newer for them uh, is their salah. Another Rasulullah that every person who performs salah regularly, that salah will be a nur for them on the day of judgment. It will testify to their iman and it will be a means for their salvation. Alright, so that is two aspects that will also be nur, wudu and salah. Also, the Prophet has mentioned other hadith that um, Quran al-Kareem 
Every single ayah that a person had recited or memorized or did amal upon will also give them a daraja, uh, will be a nur for them and will guide them through that nur through successive and successive darajat in Jannah. So these are three things, wudu, salah and Qur'an that have also been mentioned as nur. So let's do two more ayat here. Get two very important ayat and then we end. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa and, and by the way, Welcome, make that announcement at the end. Allah bin Aminus, Allah bin Aminus, verses 16 and 17. That has not the time come, has not the time arrived that for those who believe that their hearts should be humbled by the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their hearts should be humbled to the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everything that has been revealed and the truth that has come down. And they should not be like those who were uh, given the scripture, I mean, Kablu from who were given the scripture, to whom the scripture was given before. But what happened was that but over a long period of time passed over them, then what happened and then their hearts became hardened and then a vast majority of them became sinners and indeed you should know that Allah subhanahu wa revives the earth after it becomes barren and dead and thus does Allah subhanahu wa exposit and express these signs uh, to you, so that you may be, you may understand. So what? Uh, yes, yeah, so that you may understand. So what is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentioning over here? There are a lot of important things in the surah, but let's finish these two ayat, and then we'll have to finish the surah tomorrow, inshallah. But here, first of all, it's talking about the zikr of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This is one of the many, many ayat where zikr and kalb. Zikr and Kalb are, have been linked to one another. Zikr and Kalb have been linked to one another. And Allah Ta'ala is saying that isn't it come time for the Mu'mineen that their Kulub should be humbled and submit to the Zikr of Allah SWT. Zikrillah. Now whenever the, the word comes Zikrillah, it's not, does it mean Qur'an of Allah? Right? Zikr alone sometimes means Qur'an. Zikrillah here means the remembrance of Allah SWT. Quran is That's the second thing, and what Allah, what has been revealed with truth. That means what has been revealed in Sunnah with truth. That means the Quran. So it means zikr and Quran. And here Allah on this ayah put zikrullah first, and that our hearts have to be humble to the zikr of Allah Subhanahu So this is a very important thing that a person should try to train their qalb to do the zikr of Allah Subhanahu and one thing that Allah mentioned because when this zikr isn't there then as time passes the heart hardens as time passes and prolongs don't be like the Ahl Kitab Allah is saying what happened to them but as time passed their heart became hardened then when their heart became hardened what happened then they ended up in sin the vast majority of them became fasiku and they ended up in fisk so this ayah makes it clear that uh, when you leave the dhikr of Allah and Qur'an, then your heart becomes hardened, hardened, hardened. Then when your heart becomes more and more hardened, then that will make a person fall into sin. Then they can fall deeper and deeper into sin. 
But then the next ayah, the ulama of Tazkiyah, the rap, they say between verse 17 and 16, is let's say a person has fallen deep into that sin. So they left the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their heart. And they left loving and following and feeling Qur'an in their heart. So that, And then time passed in such a state that their heart, because of this absence, their heart became hardened. And then they became fasik, they started doing sin. But then the second thing is, But that know that Allah Ta'ala can revive the heart after it has died. Even if a person can... At any time, Allah Ta'ala can revive them on his zikr of Allah, on his zikr of Qur'an, on his heartfelt feeling in his qalb of the zikr of Allah, and his feeling in his heart of Qur'an. And this is the sign Allah Ta'ala is saying, لَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ is only if you could understand, take heed, you could reflect, you could have sense, that all you have to do is turn to Allah SWT in dua and tawbah, and ask Him to soften your heart, and to put the zikr of Allah Ta'ala's name into your qalb, and to put the feelings of Qur'an into your qalb, then even if our hearts have also hardened over a long period of time and over and we ended up in sin, Allah Ta'ala can revive that heart after it has died. So this is a, another uh, spiritual corollary or the understanding of the ulama of Tazkiyah here on the rub between verses 16 and 17. So may Allah Ta'ala accept all of our qulub, all of our spiritual hearts for his zikr and all of our qulub, spiritual hearts for his Qur'an. And if a long time has passed for many of us and many of us may have even fallen into sin so may Allah Ta'ala then revive our heart as he revives the land after he makes it die وَآخِرِ الدَّعْوَانَ أَنَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Verse number 18 إِنَّ الْمُسَنْدِكِينَ وَالْمُسَنْدِكَاتِ وَأَقْرَضُ اللَّهَ كَرْضًا حَسَنًا يُذَاءَفُ لَهُمْ وَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ so here again, the similar thing that we've mentioned here, Al-Spanta is mentioning the rewards of the people who give charity. I just mentioned this in this very same surah about what is this concept of sadaqah. But here again, Al-Tal has mentioned the male and the female form, musaddikim wal musaddikat. So the male believers who give charity and the female believers who give charity, Allah Subhanahu is going to reward uh, both of them with an ajrun kareem, with a tremendously gracious and generous reward. Those who give this, Karadan Hasana who give this donation in charity and then Allah Subhanahu will view it as a loan, He will reward them for that. But this verse 19 is very important. It's going to explain who are this Musaddikeen. So who are they? Walladina Amanu Billahi wa Rusulihi. That they are those who believe in Allah Subhanahu wa Rusulihi. Not Rasulihi wa Rusulihi and His messengers, Ulaikahum Siddiqoon. That they are the people who are Siddiq. So Siddiq are the ones who are true in word and deed who are the truest followers of the messengers, who are the truest in their iman, who are the truest in their taqwa, who are the truest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after the Anbiya and Nabiyyin, the greatest rank in our deen is given to those who are called Siddiqeen. And the greatest Siddiq was Imam Siddiqeen, Sayyidina As-Siddiq Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was named by Nabi Karim as a Siddiq because he was the truest to his iman, the truest to the Prophet And he also, Siddiq also comes for Tasdiq, and he did the greatest tasdeeq of iman whatever the Prophet said he would say it was true and all of you know that famous incident of Miraj uh, when the Kufar asked Abu Bakr that you really believe that he said if the Prophet said it is true I do siddiq right I do tasdeeq I verify whatever the Prophet said I verify whatever he does to be true so these are the people who are known to be the siddiqin okay before I move to shuhada 
some other commentary on uh, basically Siddiq also means such a level of truthfulness that you are absent and devoid from all falsehood. So it means they don't lie, they don't exaggerate, they don't embellish, they're not false, they're not fake, they don't have errors, they don't do tsunno, there's no artificiality between them. Siddiq is that level of Siddiq with which no falsehood can coexist with that level of Siddiq. Right? And then after the level of Siddiqin, then Allah Ta'ala mentions the second greatest level after Anbiya and Anbiya's one Siddiqin is two. وَشُهَدَاءُ إِنْدَ لَبِّهِمْ لَهُمْ أَجْرُهُمْ وَنُورُهُمْ And so the martyrs will be with the Shuhada will be with their Rabb and they will have their Ajr, their reward and Sawab and they will have their Nur. They will be given a Nur, a light. Uh, they will be given a light in the presence of their Rabb. So who are the shuhada? Shuhada are awwal and those who have offered their lives for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those are the first and foremost shuhada. Life for the sake of Allah ta'ala, life for the sake of deen, or the life was taken simply because of Allah subhanahu because they were people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or they were people on deen. Alright? Uh, once, uh, Sayyidina Abu Hurairah Badana once sent to the Tabin that all of you are Siddiqeen and shuhada. And they asked him, how? We are alive, we're not even martyred yet. So he quoted this verse to them, because the verse initially, what does it just say? Alladina amanu billahi wa rasulihi. That they are the Siddiqeen, so you can read it this way. Walladina amanu billahi wa rasulihi. And those who have iman in Allah Ta'ala's messengers, ulaikuhumu siddiqoon. That they are the Siddiqeen, they are the ones who are extremely true. Washuhada. That they are the Siddiq and the Shuhada. So he read it in that sense. And that means to be a Siddiq and Shaheed. Then Shuhada can mean also then those who ultimately, penultimately testify in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One Sayyidina Rasulullah was standing on Mount Uhud and the mountain began shaking. And this is Hadith in Bukhari. Sayyidina Rasulullah struck his foot on the mountain and said to Mount Uhud that be still. There is a Nabi, a Siddiq and two Shuhada, two Shaheed, that is in Usman was there as well, two Shaheed upon you. So this is also Hadith when Nabi Islam referred to himself as a Nabi, Sayyidina Bakr as a Siddiq and Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhuma as Shuhada. Right, and yet, and the, indeed, then the mountain uh, of Uhud became still. Then also, a uh, person should know that the true, the Tajir as Suduk, this word has also come for businessmen, so it may give us some hope if you work in the corporate realm, that in the Hadith in Tirmidhi, the Apostle some said, the trustworthy and true, as al Amin, the trustworthy and true Tajir will be with the Anbiya and Siddiqeen in Jannah. So this is a businessman, person who makes money, tradesmen, businessmen will be with the Anbiya and Siddiqeen as long as they are, they have Siddiq and they're Asadiq and Alameen. So this is the importance of being true and trustworthy in business, that the truthfulness and trustworthiness in what is oftentimes a very tempting, tempting to be corrupt trade, such as business, right? If a person can still be true and trustworthy, then their being true and trustworthy in that business will give them the ranks of the Anbiya and the Siddiqeen or the company of the Anbiya and Siddiqeen in Jannatul Firdaus. And then last Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here, And those who disbelieve and those who reject and deny our signs, and they will be the companions of the blazing fire. Okay, last 10 verses, verse now 20 to 29. 
that you should know that indeed the life of this world is what? It's number one, la'ab. Number two, lahu. Number two, zina. What tafakhur? Tafakhurum bainakum. So what does this mean? Number one, it means life of this world is lahu. It's, uh, sorry, is la'ab. It means that it is just play. La'ab means play, futile uh, play. Lahu means futility. Mm, la'ab can mean it's play, distraction, distracting play, distracting and diverting play. Lahu means it's futile, pointless. The life of the world is futile and pointless. Third, was zina. Zina means it is just allure and decoration and glamour and glitz. What tafakhur means it's just ostentation and boasting. Mutual tafa'ul. Tafakhur, mutual ostentation and boasting amongst, bainakum, amongst each other and amongst themselves. What taqathrun fil amwal. And it is also just the accumulation and striving for more and more and you can say rivalry mutually striving in a rival sense the kathir for more and more fil amwal wal awlad for wealth and for money kamathalizaisin and all of this is just like the torrential rain ajibul kufara that it amazes uh, the it amazes means it pleases uh, here it means the tillers and the farmers it it pleases the Tillers and the farmers, Nabatuhu, uh, its growth. Means when you have such torrential rain that it comes down and then uh, it leads to a verdant, lush growth, then the farmers and tillers become very happy. But then what happens? Thumma yuhiju, but then that water dies out. And then what happens? Fatarahu musfarra, that you will see it turning yellow. And yellow here is the indication that it decays. And then what happens? Thumma yukunu khutama, and then it crumbles and is reduced into bits. So, bufil akhirati adabun shadid, and indeed in the akhirah Allah subhanahu wa has put a severe punishment, but also min Allahi, and also a forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa and also pleasure, uh, and you will get the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa hayatun dunya illa mata'ul ghurur, and what is the life of this world except the stuff of deception. So, this is a very strong verse in Quran al-Kareem. And 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 you should hasten and race towards the forgiveness of your Rabb. Means instead of being involved in the rat race of trying to accumulate more and more wealth, status, prestige, honor, degrees, you should be racing and trying to outstrip and excel and exceed and race towards the forgiveness from your Rabb. And that Jannah, the expanse of that Jannah, which is like the expanse of the heaven and the earth, and this Jannah has been prepared for those who believe in Allah subhanahu and all of His messengers. And this is the fuzzle, the karam, the grace and generosity of Allah subhanahu wa And He gives it to whomsoever He wills. And Allah subhanahu is the being who possesses immense grace and fuzzle. He is the possessor of the greatest and most tremendous bounty. So very briefly we have several things here in this. First, the word is lab means it's a laibun means a place where you just play, and that play distracts you from Allah Subhanahu diverts you from Allah Subhanahu It's just play, enjoyment, recreation. So we need to look in our life and see how much play and enjoyment and recreation do we have. Lahu means it's futile, it's pointless. There is no ultimate point and purpose to a world and a life of the world that is going to be folded up and is going to end. Yes, the only thing that has value in it is that which is done lillah, fillah, which is done for the 
the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Third thing Allah ta'ala said about the word is zinat, means Allah ta'ala has made the world attractive. It is alluring, it is attractive. That is our test that we don't chase the zenith of the dunya, and instead we chase the zenith of the akhirah. We don't change the zenith of the dunya, we chase the zenith of the deen. That we find more beauty and more allure and more attraction in deen and akhirah than we find in the beauty and attraction that Allah Ta'ala has put in this world. Tafakhurum bainakum. That this means that people try to boast with one another, and ostentation and boasting. Right, that this is a feature that is related to the zenith. That a person wants, is attracted to that beauty partly because they want to show it off. That's what ostentation means, display. They want to boast of having that beauty. And takathur, this was the competition and rivalry and trying to excel and exceed and increase and in striving for more and more wealth. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it 14 years, even way before capitalism, way before Adam Smith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, dunya is takathurun fil amwal. <laughs> this is economics 101, capitalism 101 in Quran fil amwal. That you're just going to try to get more and more and more wealth. Wealth accumulation, right? So can you imagine the very thing that Allah Ta'ala in Quran says negatively about the dunya, that is the very thing that after the Renaissance and Reformation and Enlightenment, with notwithstanding all of that philosophy, they ended up on what? Pure capitalism. And they ended up on exactly this. A philosophy of life where you should accumulate as much wealth as you can. And that a society should be judged on the basis of its material progress. Which is the most developed, which has the highest tower, which has the greatest money, which has the most luxury, which has more and more wealth, which is the top country in terms of per capita or GDP per capita income and your GNP and all of that. All Allah, Allah is saying in Quran, this is all, this is all you can get in the dunya. It's all about the kafir, to increase striving more and more for wealth. And for children, now that may not be there so much in the modern condition, but certainly in much of the history of humanity, your progeny and your family and your lineage and your clan, this house and the house of lords of this house and that house and this house, people are always trying to perpetuate that. So Allah Ta'ala mentions it, yes, if you do it, it will be like that torrential rain brain pouring that you get happy and you get excited how much comes but then again it'll all fade into nothing it's going to yellow and crumble to bits and that's what's going to happen when we face Allah Ta'ala on, when the Day of Judgment takes place this is one of the rare ayahs in Quran where Allah Ta'ala has put mention of his adab first and his maghfirah second وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ أَذَابٌ شَدِيدٌ وَمَغْفِرَةٌ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانٌ so these are three categories right Adab is Jahannam, Maghfira is that first level of Jannah, the Ashab al Yameen, and Rizwan is for the Sabakun, that is for the highest level, that is the rub between the Surah that came before. Some have taken this in a positive way, some have taken this, okay, some have taken this as another way, positive or how you, whatever you want, that for the Mu'min, the Mu'min who, okay, some positive, but it's both. For the Mu'min who loves the world, for the Mu'min who gets caught up in Hayat al Dunya, First on Jannah and Akhir they'll have to go through an azab. They will have to go through the punishment of Jahannam to purge them from the stain of love of the world. Then they will be forgiven from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then they will be admitted into His pleasure which is Jannah. So then it's a sequence they're mentioning uh, what's going to happen to the sinning believers who fall into the sin of love of the world. And then in the end Allah Ta'ala says that وَمَا الْحَيَاتٌ دُنْيَا إِلَّا مَتَعَلْ غُرُورٌ But what is this world other than just a commodity of deception that nothing other than guru. 
It's race to the forgiveness of your Rabb. So Allah SWT is saying that why don't, instead of going to the Adab and Shadeed, why don't you go race and go directly to that Maghfirah. Leave this dunya. Leave the love of the dunya. Leave those four things. Leave the La'ib. Leave the Lahu. Leave the Zenith. Five things. Tafakhur and Takathur. Leave these five things of the dunya. And leave that. Then you will find yourself racing to the Maghfirah and forgiveness of your Rabb. And that Allah Ta'ala wants to give such a fuzzle that he is the fadl that he is a being of immense fuzzle and Allah alone can imagine what he has prepared for those who believe in him and with Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and nothing no, no calamity and no difficulty occurs to a person on earth occurs on earth or occurs in yourselves except that it is a decree that Allah Ta'ala has decreed previously in a book uh, that He has decreed it even before He creates it and sends it to you and in the Dalek and this is indeed easy for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala therefore you should not grieve over you should not have grief and sorrow over what eludes you from this world and you should not be boastfully arrogant and pompous and proud over what Allah Ta'ala bestows upon you Wallahu la yuhibbu and indeed Allah subhanahu wa severely dislikes and can never ever love that person who is pompous and proud. And those who are miserly and stingy and they command and enjoin others also to be miserly and stingy. And that person who turns away, then that person should know that Allah Ta'ala is ghani, He is absolutely independent. He is Al-Hamid. He is worthy of all praise. Alright, first thing here is that every calamity that comes on earth comes due to the knowledge and power and decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. And everything that comes in ourselves is also known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here is that whether uh, it is you know, illness, whether it is distress, whether it is financial difficulty, whether it is anything, it has all come and decreed, it has only come to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is easy for Allah Ta'ala to do so. What is the feeling Allah Ta'ala is trying to put in our heart here? That if a difficulty has come to me, it's not unplanned, it's not all of a sudden, it's not why is this happening? No, I know the answer to that. This is happening because Allah Ta'ala wills it to happen. This is happening because my Allah Ta'ala has decreed this to happen. This is happening to me inside me because Allah Ta'ala is testing me with this. So what does Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala say then? That don't grieve about what you lose, what things that you will miss out on things in this world. And that's not supposed to put you in depression. What's supposed to put you in depression is if you end up missing out on something in Akhirah. If you miss out something in Deen. Right? So, wala la That you should not be depressed. At what you are not able to get. And at the same time, what Allah Ta'ala gives you, you should not be boastfully arrogant about that. And this is also said, this is why Allah Ta'ala gives and He doesn't give. This is why sometimes He withholds and He bestows, so a person doesn't fall into either one of these things. And la yuhibbu, again, is a very strong word in Quran. Allah Ta'ala does not love, can never love, will never love. Kulla, any and every person who is pompous and proud, who is haughty and arrogant. So that means we have to take these things out. Now, who is that person who has this arrogance? It's very important. And I have to, especially given present company, not you personally, but in terms of this segment of uh, Pakistani society, we have to talk about this notion of bukhul, 
right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, who are those people who cry over what they lose and who are arrogant over what they have and who are haughty and arrogant? Who are those people Allah ta'ala won't love? Those who are miserly, the bakhil, who have bukhul. And they enjoin others to be miserly. And this is what happens. Bukhla means you're stingy, you don't like to give in this world. And you enjoin, and there's so many examples of that in your segment of society. They don't want to raise the workers' wages. If another person decides to do it, they all gather together and say, Right? They enjoin them not to do it. They don't like to give loans to one another. If somebody gives loan, the husband will tell the wife, don't give the loan. The wife will tell the husband, don't give the loan. The husband has made need to give a loan. All of a sudden the wife finds out, she tells him, don't give a loan. She's enjoining to bukhul. She's enjoining to bukhul. Right? The wife wants to give charity. The husband finds out, tells her not to give it. The husband wants to give charity. The wife finds out, she goes to him, oh, don't give it. Right? What were you thinking? Right? And he's thinking, oh, we have so much money, I was just going to give some money for the masjid or for whatever it was. Right? So enjoining one another to bukhul. It's amazing. Right? How much people engage in frivolous spending on themselves, but when it comes to society, relief work, humanitarian work, deen, charity, philanthropy, ilm, whatever, they are themselves stingy and they enjoin others. They even stop others in their family and close circle. Right? So this is, this is how Allah Ta'ala described the person. Who is that person Allah Ta'ala doesn't love? The one whom Allah Ta'ala has given them and they are miserly and stingy and they even instruct and enjoin others to be miserly and stingy. So obviously this is going to be an ailment that's found in the affluent classes. This is going to be upper middle class, upper class phenomenon. Not that everybody in the upper classes will have it, but we have to be watchful of it. If Allah Ta'ala has given us risk, we have to be very careful lest that miserliness come inside of us. And that person who turns away, what Allah Subhanahu is saying is, that person who turns away means chooses not to give Allah Subhanahu anything, means not spend any charity. Allah is saying, he's ghani, he doesn't need it. He has no need of it. It was for our own benefit, for our own help, that if we had given this charity, and Allah Ta'ala Al-Hamid, he's worthy of all praise. Verse 25. Indeed, Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, we have sent our messengers with clear proofs. And we sent with them a book and the mizan and the scale. So that humanity would be able to be upheld and would be established on the path of justice. Right? So humanity may stand by justice. Now this is what this word is And we sent iron. And in that iron fihi batsun shadeed, and that iron holds a great force in it, even a violent force and a great awe. It's a power of iron. What does it mean that iron can be molded into something that is a great force? It also means the fact that Allah Taala made humanity control iron. Uh, it's an awe-inspiring experience for them. So the power of steel, raw steel and iron, that is what's being mentioned here. And manafil the nas, and it has a lot of benefits and advantages for humanity. So that Allah Ta'ala may also ascertain, means that Allah Ta'ala could manifest in, that who will help Allah Ta'ala and the messengers of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala bil ghayb in the unseen, in the Allah Aziz, indeed Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is all-powerful and is almighty. So here Allah Ta'ala is, uh, again, these, uh, the book and the scale. So kitab means the scriptures Allah Ta'ala sent. Mizan, I've done this for you. The scale means the perfect way, the perfect system of justice which which humanity should live and they should remain 
firm and upright on that because Allah Ta'ala actually through this sending of Mizan it means that Allah Ta'ala ideally actually wants insan to establish justice on earth not just justice on the Day of Judgment or justice in Akhirah but Allah Ta'ala wanted for Itmam Hujjat to show His complete mercy that He reveals a system that if a person follows it a person can establish and abide by and live by complete justice on this earth as far as uses of iron, obviously we live in a machine age. Uh, we live in the age of engineering. I don't think I need to explain. One could give hundreds of examples, but that would take time. All of you can, you're living. We are all living. Even this speaker and this mic and all of this is steel and iron. So we are benefiting from that. The last thing though is that Allah Ta'ala said that He knows who will assist Him, right, and His messengers. So that is who will use this iron to help Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And yes, the primary meaning of this was iron in, in terms of weaponry. And who will forge that weaponry and wield that weaponry for the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for the sake of the deen and will render in a sense that is being it's Allah ta'ala's mercy that he's labeling this as assistance. Why does Allah ta'ala end with these two attributes, Al-Qawi, Al-Aziz? Because Allah making clear he doesn't need the assistance and he doesn't need weaponry and iron is nothing compared to the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his power but this is the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that human beings should wield power on earth and they should wield that power for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala verses 26 and 27 وَلَكَدْ نُوحًا وَإِبْرَاهِيمًا uh, so we have done this, we have sent, Allah Ta'ala says, indeed, we, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, sent Sayyidina and we sustained and made Nabuwa and placed Nabuwa, uh, well, Kitaba and Scripture in their very progeny. فَمِنْهُمْ Muhtad and from amongst them they were those who were rightly guided, but وَكَثِيرٌ مِنْهُمْ فَاسِكُونَ But then a lot of them were sinners. Okay, now what is this? So here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning how, not about the Anbiya, but about the people who received that Prophet and Scripture. For example, the vast majority of Christians started believing in Trinity. They started engaging in that sin. So the vast majority ended up in sin, even though they were the followers of those Prophets whom Allah Ta'ala, from that line of Noah and Abraham, from that line of Sayyidina Nuh Islam and Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam. So there are many things uh, that um, the Christians and the Jews and the sins that they made and here the Nantha is going to mention Thumma Kafeina ala Atharihim Birusulna and Alta says then we sent messengers only after them means in their footsteps all the prophets then became from the Abrahamic line means after Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam, all prophets are descended from him. There is no prophet that comes independent or separate from him in terms of lineology. وَكَفَيْنَا بِإِسَى بْنِ مَرْيَمْ And then Allah says, we sent Sayyidi Isa alayhi salam, who is the son of Maryam radiallahu anhu, injil, and we bestowed upon the injil, which is the word in Arabic for what you would call to in the Gospel or in the Bible. وَجَعَلْنَا فِي قُلُوبِ الَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُهُ رَافَةً وَرَحْمَةً And Allah says, we put kindness and mercy in the hearts of those who followed Him. And this is the notion that Quran in several places mentions that, that Christians are soft-hearted people. Now, does this mean it's exclusive to those who followed him? Means the real mu'mineen in him and the deen he brought. So that would be people who didn't believe him to be a son or trinity. They would be mu'mineen in the deen he brought, which he was just a prophet of Allah. But some have also taken it that this is a softness, that Christians are generally more soft than, let's say, for example, Jews or idolaters. Warahbaniyata. Uh, okay, now Rahbaniya means monasticism, which is this notion of being celibate, of not getting married, not having children, of living in some island, not earning in the world, functioning in the world, being in the world, right? So here this is Allah saying that 
that they began this themselves. This is something that they invented on their own. Alta says, we did not inscribe or prescribe uh, this upon them. Uh, but they did so, they did it seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah said, however, they did not adhere to it according to the way it should have been observed. I'll explain this in a moment. And Allah says that we gave those who were believers from amongst the Christians, Ajrahum the reward, However, the vast majority of those Christians also ended up becoming dissolute sinners, leaving the wish of Allah SWT. Okay? So this invention of monasticism was in addition to the Sharia of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. And that you, I've, you already all know what a monastery is and what a monk is, so I will not go into those details with you. But further, uh, beyond that, uh, then the Christian religion had, this is just one infraction, but the biggest thing is ascribing uh, a son to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and uh, this is the real major, um, you know, uh, sin uh, that the Christians have done. Alright? This, uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said the vast majority of sin, some have taken that to mean that initially, uh, number one, that the vast majority of them believe in the Trinity. Number two, the vast majority of Christians at the time of the revelation of Quran chose not to follow the Prophet although yes, there were few from the Athi Kitab who did, but the vast majority uh, did not. Uh, and then again, uh, this issue of the va- the Allah ta'ala putting the compassion and rahmah in the hearts of those who followed him. So the truer they are, the followers of Sayyidina Isa the truer you would find that they have that mercy and compassion. And it's a mixed bag, you know. I mean, you would certainly see Christian missionaries and very devout evangelical Christians in America seem to have a lot of mercy and compassion. But you have to remember that it's also Christians who dropped the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Christians who were involved in the Vietnam War, Christians who were responsible for colonialism. That is a whole vast history all over the world. Christians who were responsible for you know, prejudice and racism in America right up to the civil rights movement in the 60s. So there are both things there. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, Allahu Alam. Uh, I mean, if you look at that, uh, World War One was fought between Christians. World War Two was fought between Christians. Hitler was from a nominal. I mean, certainly we would never say uh, he is a betrayal of any even modern Christianity, let alone a betrayal of classic Christianity. But so you can't really use some. Because I'm just saying this because some modernists suggest that this ayah. So you know, I mean, they're Christians and they're Christians. Like they're Muslims and they're Muslims. They're Jews and they're Jews. Uh, but yes, the ones who seem to follow the more path of Isa Alayhi which is their current day monks and their current day missionaries they seem to have more softness and compassion in their heart uh, but the ones who are nominal Christians or secular many of them are even agnostic and atheist uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything this Rahbaniyata uh, where uh, Allah SWT says that they followed it the wrong way they didn't observe it the correct way so what is the correct way and what's the wrong way okay so very simply the wrong way is to be a monk Right to be celibate and etc. The right way is what in our deen in Arabic is called zuhud. Zuhud means that a person is in this world, functions in this world, earns in this world, participates in this world, serves this world, but doesn't love that world. That was what that was the actual sunnah of Sayyidina Islam. He was a zahid. He was maybe one of the greatest zahid. Right? He was very zahid. See, abstinence is the fancy word they use in English for this, as opposed to monasticism. So asceticism, asceticism, sorry, abstinence, asceticism versus monasticism. So that's as briefly as I can explain it to you. So the correct way means you can marry, 
You can have children, you can have a job, you can earn, but you don't love the world. And for that, we've given a whole separate lecture on Zuhud, and that lecture, you can just view that as the commentary on this verse, that what is the correct observance to this. Now, yes, Allah used the word Rahbaniyya, but there's no correct type of monasticism, because Sayyidina Rasulullah said, La Rahbaniyya fil Islam, there is no monasticism at all in the deen of Islam. What Allah Ta'ala mentions, the correct type of abstinence from this world is not monasticism, but is asceticism. That's the way you would translate this verse in English. It means it's not the inkita and the dunya, or your relationship with dunya, is not rahbaniya, but it is meant to be zuhud. Last two ayahs now of Surah Al-Hadid, last two ayahs of the 27 Juz, last two ayahs that you will do with me and I will do with you in this Ramadan. And let's see, Allah Ta'ala, who... He keeps alive for the next couple of months. Last two ayahs. Ya ayyuhal ladina amunu taqullaha. That O you who believe you must have taqwa. Wa aminu bi rasulihi. And this is again an interesting construct because normally iman comes before taqwa. Here Allah Ta'ala is putting the shart of taqwa first and iman second. Second Allah Ta'ala is choosing the verb for him as taqwa. And our relationship with Allah Ta'ala is taqwa. And our relationship with the Prophet is iman. And yes, that's confirmed. The word taqwa never comes for us and the Prophet We only have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we fear and fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And we believe, Allah is saying you should believe in the Prophet So what will happen if you do that? Yutukum kiflaini min rahmatihi. Allah means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you a double portion of His mercy. Yutukum Kiflaini min rahmatihi, Allah Subhanahu will give you a double portion, double share of His mercy. Wa yajallakum nuran, and Allah Taala will make a nur for you, tamshu nabihi, and you will be able to walk and live by that nur. Wa yafirlakum, and Allah Taala will forgive you for your sins. Wallahu ghafur rahim, and indeed Allah Subhanahu is all forgiving, all merciful. So this ayah is where is a beautiful ayah, also oft recited ayah of Quran al-Karim. Where Allah Ta'ala basically simplifies it in one ayah. Fear Allah and believe in the Prophet Now what that taqwa is, what that iman is, that again can be subjects of yet again uh, altogether uh, you know, talks in of themselves. Uh, but you know, means that fear Allah means worship Allah as He deserves to be worshipped. Obey Allah as He deserves to be obeyed. Love Allah Ta'ala as He deserves to be loved. Know Allah Ta'ala as He deserves to be known and never ever disobey Him and deliberately and if ever you fall in disobedience turn in tawbah to Him immediately and relentlessly make that tawbah. All of that will be taqullah. Aminu bi Rasulullah means to believe in Sayyidina Rasulullah Love Sayyidina Rasulullah Follow His Sunnah. Follow His Seerah. Follow the Zahir of His Sunnah. The Batin of His Sunnah. Follow His Sunnah. Follow His Adab. Follow His Akhlaq. Get His Kifiyat. All of that is meant. What does it mean that you will get double of the mercy? So double, uh, when Allah SWT said that uh, He will give two shares or double of that mercy, you know, Allah SWT knows best what that means, but one notion is that you get one mercy for your 
Ashadu an la ilaha illallah and one mercy for your Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because there are two aspects to it. So that's why the person who says, I just believe in Quran, I don't believe in Sunnah. I just believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I don't follow the Prophet. Or I only read Quran, I won't read Hadith. Then they're not going to get that double share of mercy because they're not doing the double hukam that Allah has mentioned here in Quran. Then again we have this notion of nur, right? Now here, this nur, yes, number one it is referring to that nur that you will walk with that nur on the Day of Judgment. But the Mufassir has said that nur can also mean in this world that you will get a nur in this life. You will get a perception. You will be able to see the difference for Khan between haq and batal, between virtue and vice. You will have a nur in which you will be able to be a source of hidayah for others, a nur of hidayah for others. You will walk in a nur means that Allah Ta'ala's nur will illuminate and protect you and guide you in every single affair that you're in and then ultimately then لكم, Allah Ta'ala will forgive you for your sins rahim, and indeed Allah Ta'ala is all forgiving, all for merciful Allah ya'nama ahlul kitabi Allah yaqdiruna ala shay'in min fadlillahi wa anna al-fadla biyadillah yutihi man yasha wallahu dhul fadlil azim and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends then because a lot of this was addressing the ahlul kitab so the ahlul kitab they may know all of this has been done li Allah taqi lamikai so that the ahlul kitab may know that la yaqdiruna ala shay' That they have no power and control whatsoever over the fuzzl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, over Allah ta'ala's bounty and grace. However, annal fadla, Allah ta'ala's bounty and grace, biyadillah, is literally means is in, is, is in his hand, is in his power and grace to determine, to control, to apportion, to decree, to bestow, and, uh, Yutihi man yasha, and he will bestow that fuzzle and grace and bounty to whomsoever he will. Wallahu dhul fadlil azim, and Allah subhanahu wa is a being who possesses tremendous bounty and grace. So this was with the Kitab thought they were favored, they were blessed, they were chosen, and they got upset that we were chosen up till now, and now by sending the Prophet to some in Quran, now these people have gotten another deen. So the Prophet is saying it's not in your control who is chosen and who is not chosen, who remains chosen. Allah Subhanahu can choose and bless whomsoever he wants, and that is the broader lesson for us that all of us need the fuzzl of the Dhul Fadlul Adeem. May Allah Ta'ala admit us all into that fuzzl. So right now, just before we make dua again, this announcement that today was the last day. We will not have this year's session tomorrow. Inshallah, those of you who have signed up by giving us your email address and SMS, then we will inform you by email and SMS when we will have a few days session in Shawwal to complete these last three juz of Quran and that may be a good way to get you back in the spirit of Ramadan because many times in the first week and ten days of Shawwal a person feels I lost everything so then we'll bring you back and we'll do three more juz of Quran and then you can also get a nisbat of studying Quran outside of Ramadan that's it for the women for the women so today is August what's today today? 6th, okay. So for the women, they have a day off, but from August 8th to 15th, we have a one-week course for women, and we just can't offer it for you because there is no male teacher at the moment qualified to teach you uh, here. I'm the only male teacher in this institute, but the many Mullimat women instructors at the institute, so we decided to offer a continuation of this. We give the women one day off, and they will come, and in that, we have done two special topics, 
one is hadith so that the women in Ramadan should get a sense of hadith and this is the famous book Al-Arbain by Imam Nawiri he has gathered 40 authentic hadith and all 40 hadith inshallah can be covered easily uh, in the rest of Ramadan and they'll be covered and second is a very special section from Imam Al-Ghazali his masterpiece work which he wrote on reviving the religious science and that is the selection how to improve the quality of your salah how to fix the button of your salah how to focus your awareness and concentration on Salah. So these will be the two things that will be taught to the women. So they will start, they will get the 7th of August 8th, they should all come back in addition to Quran. In Ramadan they should get some nisbat with Hadith. And Ramadan is the best one to fix and work on your prayer. But we've abbreviated the timing, so instead of from 2 to 5.15, it will meet 2.30 to 4.30. So again, from August 8th onwards, from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. for the women, they can continue coming and benefiting from their dars of hadith and uh, how to fix your prayer. For the men, uh, although we're not always trying to plug our website to you, but just so you don't feel sad that, okay, I wish I could also go through that text. So alhamdulillah, we taught that, and I believe that's on the website when I, I, I've taught that. Uh, how to improve your, fix your prayer, improve your quality in prayer, and that audio is there on the website so the men can listen to that audio. And uh, in fact, maybe on the website we can, we'll put up the text by Ghazali. Uh, will you be able to do that? We'll scan the text by Ghazali and put it up on the website so that both the women participants who want can download it and the men can download and listen to the audio and they can also get that instruction. Jazakumullah khair, all of you. You showed a lot of, uh, those of you came once or twice, or some of you have been coming every day, a lot of himmat, and we only hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, can make us according to your husnizan. And I think the most husnizan anybody can do for anyone is to uh, listen to Quran from them. So we are actually not worthy, and it's actually your great misfortune uh, that uh, you are not able to connect yourself to the great and true scholars of Quran in this country. It was my great fortune that I was blessed to meet and study under a few of them over the course of many years. And my attempt has always been to just bring you their words and their writings, yes, in the American accent that you all love and in the language that you're all fond of. Um, but uh, if in, you should never judge tafsir by me, the tradition of tafsir is far, far greater uh, than anything we were able to present to you and it's our sincere hope that all of you would uh, have a lifetime of learning and studying Quran al-Kareem and that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connect each and every one of you to the true ulama, mufassirun, muhaddisin and the true awliya sadiqeen that alhamdulillah are still in this ummah uh, and uh, that is our hope for our own self and our hope and prayer for you. that you enabled us to open this Quran, to sit in front of this Quran, to recite this Quran, to read this Quran, to understand this Quran. 
Shaitan, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we are infinitely needy of you. We are fakir and muhtaj of you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we need your fadl, Ya Allah. We need you to drown us in your fadl, Ya Allah. Grant us that nur, Ya Allah, by which we can perceive the haq from the batil. Grant us that nur, Ya Allah, by which we can fix our own nafs and our aql and our kalb. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we want to be your devoted and devout servants and slaves, your loving servants and slaves. Ya Allah, put the nur of Quran in our heart. Ya Allah, these days through the barakah of Ramadan, you gave us such a nisbat with Quran. Ya Allah, we ask that you keep this nisbat baqi, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, so many times in the past, we've gone surges in our deen. We've gotten moments in our deen, only to lose it in a matter of days. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to send your mercy on us. We never want to lose anything from you. We never want to lose any of the blessings that you bestow on us. Ya Allah, let us do hifazat of this ni'mah, hifazat of this nur, hifazat of this fazl. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept our iman. Ya Allah, we want you to do hifazat of our iman. Ya Allah, we are living in a day and age where people lose their iman, question their iman, sacrifice their iman, sell their iman. Ya Rabbi Kareem, it is only your karam and fazl. Ya Allah, we are still on iman. Ya Allah, we ask that you do hifazat of our iman. Grant us istikamat on this iman. Grant us himmat on this iman. Grant us yakin in our iman. Grant us kubuliyat in our iman. Ya Allah, every single mention you have made of jahannam, Ya Allah, we seek refuge in you from its pain. We seek refuge in you from its adab. Ya Allah, we cannot even stand a single moment in the sunlight. Ya Allah, how will we be able to bear the fire of hell? Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your karam on us. Send your maghfirah on us. Send your rahmah on us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, this month of Ramadan is the month of your rahmah, the month of your maghfirah, the month of itkum in nar the month of delivering from the hellfire. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you deliver each and every one of us from the hellfire. We accept that we have earned it. We accept that we deserve it. We accept that we are worthy of it. But Ya Allah, we ask that you forgive us anyway. Send your mercy upon us anyway. Make us people of Jannah, that place which we don't deserve, that place which we have no worth, but that place which we yearn for, Ya Allah, which we dream for, Ya Allah. We beg it from you. We seek it from you. Ya Allah, grant us that life that will lead us to that Jannah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Hamar Gunao ko farma. Ya Rabbi Kareem, is Quran Kareem ko nur ko hamare sine me nazal farma. Hamare kal me nazal farma. Ya Rabbi Kareem, tu wo zat hai ki jab aapko hukum aur irada aata hai, to barish nazal hoti hai. Banjur zameen zinda hota hai. Ya Rabbi Kareem, apne hidayat ki barish hamare kal par nazal farma. Is banjur dil ko zinda farma. Hamare dil ko apne zikr yaad ke liye kubul farma. Quran ko nur ke liye kubul farma. Hamare dil ko apne mohabbat se labrez farma. Hamare dil ko apne khauf khishiyat se munawar farma. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hume wo dil ata farma. Jo aap ka naam sun kar tarapta hai. Hume wo dil ata farma. Jo aap ka naam yaad karta hai. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hume wo sine ata farma. Jo sifat mu'minana se bara hua hai. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hume takwa wala bana. Haya wala bana. Sabar wala bana. Shukr wala bana. Yakin wala bana. Ya Rabbi Kareem, humare andar har guna hai. Har bimani hai. Har kumzori hai. Ya Rabbi Kareem, hum aapke fazl ke bhoat mutaj hai. Aap to kareem zat hai. Aap ko fazl dena sajta hai. Aap to afoon kareem hai. Aap ko maaf karna sajta hai. Aap ko maaf karna pasand hai. Ya Rabbi Kareem, apne kareem ke izhaar kar kar. Hum jaisi loongi upre apne fazl inayat firma dijiye. Ya Rabbi 
بکریم ہمیں دین والا بنا قرآن والا بنا سنت والا بنا ہمیں سراط و مستقیم پر چلنے والے بنا تمام انبیاء مرسلین پر ایمان لانے والے بنا نبی کریم سسن کے ختم نبوت پر ایمان لانے والے بنا تمام صدیقین صالحین اولیاء علماء کے احترام اور عزت ہمارے دل میں نازل فرما یا رب کریم ہم جوڑ کر چلنا چاہتے ہیں ان تمام نظریات جو ہمیں توڑنا چاہتے ہیں یا رب کریم ہمیں جڑے رکھنا ان اکابر علماء سے جڑے رکھنا ان اولیاء کاملین سے جڑے رکھنا جو آپ کی سرات مستقیم کی وارث ہیں یا رب کریم ہمارے بھی قدموں کو ان کی نقش قدموں پر ساتھ لانا یا رب کریم ہمیں نسبت عطا فرما نسبت کی حقیقت عطا فرما نسبت کی معرفت عطا فرما نسبت پر استقامت عطا فرما اپنے دین پر ہمیں ہمیشہ نسبت نصیب فرما یا رب کریم جو بھی دل میں پریشان ہے سب کی پریشانیوں کو دور فرما جن کی نیک شرع تمنا ہے سب کی فریاد کو قبول فرما جن کی دین پر چلنے رکاوٹیں ہیں یا رب کریم سب رکاوٹوں کو دور فرما یا رب کریم ہمیں دین کے اندر کھینچ لیجیے دین کے اندر پہنچا لیجیے دین کے اندر رکھ لیجیے یا رب کریم دین کے اندر ہمیں محفوظ کر لیجیے یا رب کریم امت مسلم پر اپنے خصوصی رحمت نازل فرما جہاں بھی مظلومین متاثرین ہیں یا رب کریم اپنی رحمت کو امید ان کو نصیب فرما یا رب کریم بالخصوص اہل شام یا رب کریم ان مظلومین پر اپنے خصوصی رحمت نازل فرما تمام ظالم کو ہدایت عطا فرما جن کی نصیب میں ہدایت نہیں ان کو چن چن کو دف دور فرما یا رب کریم حق کو غالب فرما باتوں کو مغلوب فرما ہمیں ہمیشہ حق کی حمایت کرنے کے لیے توفیق نصیب فرما بکریم ہمارے ان دعاؤں کو قبول فرما اور جو نبی کریم سسم نے امت کے لیے جو دعا مانگے ہم سب کو اس امت کا فرض سمجھتے ہوئے ہمارے حق میں بھی ان دعاؤں کو قبول فرما ربنا تکمل منا کا انت العلیم یا رب کریم اس قرآن کریم جو پڑھا گیا پڑھایا گیا یا رب کریم اس بارگاہ میں قبول فرما جو بھی کمی کتائی ہوں رب کریم اپنے فضل کرم سے معاف فرما جو بھی خیر تھا یا رب کریم ان سب کو اس خیر کو محفوظ کرنے کے لیے آسان فرما جو خطا تھا شرط تھا یا رب کریم اس سب کو معاف فرما اس قرآن کو مکمل کرنا یا رب کریم ہمارے لیے آسان فرما ہمیں بار بار قرآن پڑھنے پڑھانے کے لیے اکٹھے بیٹھنے کے لیے جمع فرما ربنا تکمل منا ان کا انت سمی العلیم اتوب علینا ان کا انت تواب رحیم وصلی اللہ تعالی لحبیبی سیدنا محمد وعلا آلہ وصحبہ اجمائین برحمتک یا ارحم الراحمین